Rocky Johnson, without a doubt, one of the longtime favorites in the World Wrestling Federation. From Washington, D.C., 250 pounds, Rocky Johnson. The mighty man, the Rocky, the soul man, Johnson. Rock, got yourself quite a partner for this international challenge. Underneath, coming back to his feet, the man does so many things. He is big, he is super agile. Podcast Network. This is your United States of Saturday, January 18th, 2020, and you are tuned in to the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com. Presented by Hameen Media.
in association with LastWordOnProWrestling.com and now unleashed at NDPW.com. On this week's show, we're talking about apologies, Impact Wrestling, the Wednesday Night Wars, ROH, and a little bit about the Royal Rumble. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to remind you this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across professional wrestling world. Find the entire HTM podcast network online, hittingthemarks.com. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day. That's my tag team partner. He's the man, the myth, the legend, the guy who's still wearing Cincinnati Bengals merch. He's the real RBV. Rick, welcome back to your show. It's me, it's me. It's that auto the beat of the B. Rick Vickery, back again. The Hitting Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. Hey, Jargo, I'll address your opening statement there in one moment, but for the individuals out there, if you would have heard the the pre-roll here, let me say the only thing that is icier and colder than this Midwest weather right now is Jargo's, it's his heart. So this might be a, uh, this is going to be a, I guess we'll, we'll flip the temps here, a very heated and emotional episode of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. But yes, yes, I, I am rocking my Bengals sweatshirt. And it, it has nothing to do with uh, the conversation we had yesterday on hashtag HTM Sports involving the Bengals and, and their potential uh, relationship, their partnership, their drafting, their signing of Joe Burrow. I just like my sweatshirt. <laughs> I uh, Shout out to our friend uh, Craig Thompson Horsley. Saw he had a nice response for you for your uh, diatribe on uh, HTM Sports yesterday regarding Cincinnati Chili. Hey, you know what? That's fine. He, he could toss that can in the trash because he's already purchased it. So they already have your money, <laughs> moron. It's like the WWE Network. They already have your money. Go ahead and throw yeah, the product in the trash. Yeah, Nobody cares. It's, it's, it's the same. You know, it's the same as these people, you know, uh, so-and-so took off their out of here. I'm going to burn my jersey. Yeah, I, I, I have a feeling I might be uh, busting out my Jordy Nelson jersey for tomorrow's uh, big game between Green Bay and San Francisco, even though I don't think we stand a snowball's chance in hell. Speaking of a snowball's chance in hell, that's surely what's going on here in Iowa. I guess you uh, you had our ice storm finally hit you last night? Well, it's starting to settle in. It, it set in that ice was coming down overnight through the morning. And now the temperature has spiked. We're back up in the 50s. So now we're just getting a good solid rain. But again, tomorrow, excuse me there, today in the 50s, I think 55 is the high. And then tomorrow the high is like 20. Yeah, right. Currently, as we are sitting down to record, I have 11 degrees before wind chill. The wind is blowing at about 40 miles an hour, so it feels like it's about 15 below zero outside. I am not going outside anytime soon. Huckleberry, before we jump into this week's show, I know you told me not to change the run, but, you know, I had to because, unfortunately, Rocky Johnson passed away. Um, Rocky Johnson was very, very much before our time, and It seems as though now the thing that Rocky Johnson is best known for is being the father of The Rock, Uh, although he had a great run in the NWA and the early days of the WWF. Do you have any early memories of Rocky Johnson, or did you miss that era as well? Well, you know, we we pretty much came in on the back end, but, you know, still a, a big figure. And as you said, tremendous runs there, always an incredible physique, someone that you really look towards to... You know, really known as in the tag ranks. Uh, great on that mid card. Tremendous look. You know, from what I recall, I, I think he had you know a good deal of personality. Uh, and then obviously, you know, he he has ties to you know the fame Samoa family and all that. And 
hey, you know, if not for that journey, if not for those meetings, you know, we might not, you know, have one of the top three all-time greatest entertainers from professional wrestling to ever exist, you know, in the form of his son, The Rock. Yeah, you know, you bring up the tag team wrestling. He was tag team partners with Tony Atlas. They were the kind of like the original Day. They were the first African-American tag team champions inside of the WWF, defeating the Wild Samoans. Uh, also had great feuds with guys like Adrian Adonis, Mike Sharp, Buddy Rose, Greg Valentine, Don Morocco. His run basically ended right around 1985 as far as his, his WWF stuff goes. But I think looking back at his NWA run, 1964 to 1982, traveling the territories, and it was interesting back then because it seemed as though inside of every territory, there was one African-American guy that had to be the babyface, And he was that guy for a lot of different territories over the course of the years, even feuding with guys like Terry Funk and Harley race for sweet, sweet Charlotte, the NWA world's heavyweight championship. Yeah. You know, you'd have your African-American there. I think two that really stand out as the babies through those territories that really took on that larger than life persona that you absolutely want pro wrestling would be, would be Rocky or uh, junkyard dog JYD. Yep. Yep. Those were the two. And, and you know, to speak towards the success he had in WWF to achieve, you know, those tag team championships, you got to remember this is, you know, then in that era up in the Northeast there, it was a, a little bit unheard of to see an African-American have that so much that success. And for them to be put in a position, a spotlight featured in the tag rings like that, uh, a tremendous honor, something they absolutely earned through their commitment and their work ethic. The Soul Patrol. You know, it's it's funny as I, I'm going through kind of this era of professional wrestling, Tony Atlas's name pops up everywhere. I mean, Rocky Johnson's to an extent, but his tag team partner, Tony Atlas, I mean, it doesn't matter if it was... You know, in the Puerto Rico territory, if it was Memphis, if it was the early WWF, like his name just pops up everywhere. And I don't remember Tony Atlas ever being that level of a star. Was I just so young back then that I wasn't paying attention? I think so. I mean, you talk about someone that had the physique of the gods and he could talk and he could get out there and he just had that personality that would pull individuals in. Unfortunately for Mr. Atlas, you know, he didn't think that it was ever going to end, that the ride was going to go on forever in his financial planning. And he put his he put his body through quite a bit through that travel, you know, taking, you know, just the the rigors of the ring. Uh, But outside and you know, he's outspoken. He's been outspoken about this. He spoke of the dangers of being on the gas and how that's going to break down your body and the poor health that had put that it put him in later and the poor financial decisions that he had didn't really afford him that luxurious lifestyle afterwards. I mean, he, when he was on the ride, he was flying high, baby. But when he hit that low, it was some rough times for him. Yeah, absolutely. Rest in peace, Rocky Johnson. Man, it seems as though there's been an awful lot of these shows where we have had to start off with one of these uh, in memoriam kind of things. A a rough start to uh, 2020 here in professional wrestling. Absolutely. When it comes to death. Yep. Uh, Let's move on to some more current news. Huckleberry, we got to start with the apologies. Tweet, tweet, delete, repeat. Um, We got to start off with Triple H. Uh, Triple H opened his mouth and shoved his foot in there talking about Paige. Um, And the quote that everybody is talking about is him saying that, you know, Paige maybe 
She she probably has some kids that she doesn't know about. And that is the headline that is grabbing all of the head everything that's being said inside of the media. The more important thing is when you look at this whole thing in context, this was in reference to both Edge and Page and just an offhand stupid joke. Somebody is asking Triple H about the potential of an Edge or Page return to the ring as we approach Royal Rumble season. And Triple H says, I'd love to see them step into the ring and compete. More importantly than that, though, I'd like to see them live long, healthy lives. Edge has kids. You know, Paige, maybe she probably has some she doesn't know of. It was a stupid offhand comment. But the thing that really pisses me off about this story was the IWC and the Twitter community got in such an uproar about this thing that Triple H issued a public apology. He says on his Twitter, I've reached out to Paige to apologize. I made a terrible joke and I'm sorry if it offended her or anyone else. What the hell, man? Why do these people feel the need to sell for these people and actually go out and issue public apologies? This was nothing he had to apologize for. If Paige got upset about it, her and Hunter can sit down and have a big boy and big girl conversation about it and move the fuck on. He does not entitled these fans that think that he owes them an apology. An apology for what? Uh, absolutely. You know, one thing that you're not going to get an apology from is our takes here on the Hitting Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast over the situation. This is an absolute absurdity. I mean, this, this statement comes off in tongue in cheek. And if he actually said this, you know, he did say this, but as he's saying this, we know this is something that they're talking about behind the scenes. This is a running joke within the company, and it's had to make its rounds. Come on, you actually believe that Paige herself, she knows the, the lifestyle that she lives. She chooses this. And I'm not going to bash anyone, male or female. You want to go out there and live that wild lifestyle. You want to live on the edge like that. You want to be, you know, promiscuous. That's great. But you have to understand a perception and potential backlash that's going to come along with it. Absolutely. It, you know, and at first, I bet you Paige didn't even think anything of it. You know, what we can kind of gather from her and her personality, she probably laughed about it. And then you have the social justice warriors who feel that in every little move that they need to come, that they are the superheroes of the day, that need to come to the defense and right all these perceived wrongs, which are absolute BS, get over yourselves. I mean, they, they themselves are a problem. And let's talk about two of the biggest ones that were leading the way here. Nikki Bella and Renee Young. Come on, get over yourselves here, ladies. You know there was nothing harmful meant by his comment. Tongue in cheek, in passing, when he is talking about a much bigger issue and actually laying it out there that they would welcome the return, which says that they do value, they do miss Paige. Hell, they have kept her on board through all of these scandals when anybody else, anybody else, would have been kicked out the door, tossed over the top rope years ago. There's a reason that they have kept her around here. And yes, it's obviously, you know, there are some ties because they had the thing there with the movie, uh, with the rocks, with the rocks movie. And you want to keep that tie and you keep that promotion going, but they've had plenty of time to cut away from her since then. 
They see value in her. They see markability. They like her personality. She's fine. She's one of the family at this point. You're going to joke about that. Then I guess, as you pointed out there, there's bigger issue. It's not the, let's, let's say, you know, the Ryan Satins of the wrestling world that are taking great offense to anything of this sort. It's that the talents themselves and now someone like Triple H who is sitting at the highest, damn near the highest position on the mountain in the world of professional wrestling. He is going to sit here and pander to these absolute marktards. It is sickening. As soon as I saw this apology, immediately, you know, my reply was, this is lame as fuck. I cannot believe that he is backpedaling, that he is showing weakness. Of all people, you know, outside of Vince McMahon, I would expect Triple H to ever bow down to this sort of audience. And this is what he's absolutely done. Hey, here's here's a newsflash. Your company does things on the daily that piss fans off. Fans of all walks. If it's from your creative, if it's taking the blood money, whatever it might be, who you're pushing. If they haven't turned away from your product and your promotion yet, a little comment in passing about Paige getting around isn't going to do it. Well, and I mean, it, this is throughout all core forces of entertainment, too, right? I mean, like, we're even seeing, like, people want to get rid of Vince Vaughn because he shook hands with President Trump at the national championship game. Hell, I think they're ready to throw the state of Louisiana out of the union just because they cheered Trump when he entered the freaking building. We saw it go down with Ellen DeGeneres because she sat next to pre- former President Bush to enjoy a football game. It's absolutely absurd. And I'll go ahead and I'll call out one of the guys on our own fucking platform. 8-Track Brown was pissed off that The Rock hadn't taken to Twitter or Instagram yet to pay tribute to his father. Sorry, bro. He's got some shit he's dealing with. Like, there's not a timeline where celebrities have to address the passing of their famous family member on fucking social media. Knock it the fuck off. This is, this goes, you know, to one of, you know, the big complaints and I know you get on board with this, but I am I am constantly screaming at this thing. And I I get on, hey, great show, Turnbuckle Talk with Joe and Carl. I get on Joe all the time about this. And he's come around. He, he has eliminated from his vocabulary this the dirty D word. And I'm not talking about Democrats. I'm talking about that deserved word. That you deserve things. And along with deserve, people feel that you have to cater to their absolute needs. You have to be on their time frame. That's not how it works. You have to sit back, let these things play out, look at the grander picture. Take that step back, take that 360 walk and look at it from every perspective. It's just not about this little bubble that you're living in that's trying to satisfy your needs of society. That's absolute BS. And this whole thing, I mean, this is a perfect example of it. Yep. And one of the people that I was was so happy that we hadn't heard from She had just went basically completely silent on social media. I hadn't heard a peep. I even went to her specific official Twitter account to see if any further statement had been issued and there was nothing. And I was just like, oh, finally, somebody who gets it. Just let this thing blow over. Let it go away. And then I see Tessa Blanchard issued a statement. 
Over the last week, I have been accused of, be- of calling a fellow wrestler a racial slur. To read this allegation has been personally upsetting. To be clear, I absolutely did not use that word. That word is not in my vocabulary. That word is not in my heart. Racism is not in my heart. Yet, I know many people have to deal with racism in a way that I never will have to. Racism is an awful part of American history, and it is equally awful that it's still a part of our society today. While I did not do what was claimed, I stand ready to use my platform to support the fight against racism however I can. Open mouth and insert foot. I Absolutely. When I, when I saw this statement, uh, someone had just kind of screenshotted it where I had seen it at, and I, I couldn't believe it. I thought this had to be something that was that was fabricated by some snowflake fan out there or someone just trying to stir the pot. I could not I couldn't believe that this came directly from Tessa. And then I had to double take again and make sure I wasn't looking at a Seth Rollins social media account. Because again, as we pointed out Monday over in the locker room, the Humming Media Group. She, this is what she's doing. She set Rollins and herself into a no-win situation where eventually those that are supporting you, those that do back you, that do value your contributions to this industry, they're going to turn on you. You cannot please this leftist side and that movement. They are going to chop at you every bit of the way. You need to stay the course, worry about your business, Tessa, and worry about you got bigger things to worry about now outside of this, you know, this asinine, absurd perception that you raise. I don't believe in any way that she demonstrates or represents, you know, a racist lifestyle. Do I believe that maybe she did make that comment? Probably. Uh, Do I believe that she is a bully and an absolute bitch? Absolutely. Because she's also one of the absolute best in the world. And there is a company that is hitching that wagon to her. And right now she needs to focus in that direction and through performance and saying more by opening your mouth less, then you rectify the situation. This is one of those instances where this entire situation has completely caught me off guard. And it's one of those things where we are so into the wrestling bubble that sometimes I don't even realize it. I remember hearing about this when it happened. Like this was, it's not like this was not a story when it happened. There, there's been all kinds of shit in Tess's past that if you look into her, you can find a reputation of being a complete bitch behind the scenes. This is not a surprise to anybody who has been following Tess's career. Like, I'm more amazed that so many people had their head in the sand thinking that Tessa Blanchard was like this walking saint that just had never done anything wrong in the history of her life. And the other group of people that are just pissing me off, well, until you can prove it, well, how how do you want them to prove it? Other than, you know, you have like 10 different people all come out and corroborate the same story. Well, until there's a recording or something... 
So now you mean to tell me that you want every private conversation that you have in your entire life recorded so that three fucking years from now, somebody can go through an archive and hold it against you? That's what you're advocating for? Really? Do you think this is fucking China? I mean, what the fuck, man? Just shut up. Everybody just move the fuck on. There's no story here. There was a story three fucking years ago. And you know what? Since then, we haven't heard a goddamn thing. Tessa protects herself. She protects her business. Her circle of friends is very, very small. She's not going out there and doing media appearances and opening her mouth and shoving her fucking foot into it. But now, all of a sudden, she's the Impact World Champion, and so she thinks, I have to be the face of this brand. I have to address everything that goes on in the wrestling world and everything that happens on Impact Television. I have to address it because I'm the champion. Congratulations. They gave you a prop in a scripted wrestling match and said, you're the face of our company. What the fuck is so different than two goddamn weeks ago? We already knew you were the face of the fucking company. Just shut up. That's all you got to do. Just shut up and do all of your talking on the television show in character. Otherwise, just shut up. You know, we're getting some spinoff heat as well, this entire situation. But before that, you're talking about recordings, Jargo. Did you hear the one supposed recording of Tessa that has been leaked this week? Yes. Uh, and, and I guess leak, I'll use that loosely and pun all intended i guess here well i have heard about it i have not heard it i have no desire to hear it either <laughs> okay you know me you know me i had to sit down and listen to this thing uh for those that are out there that aren't familiar with what i'm talking about uh, a lot of these indie women wrestlers they they use patreon platforms if it be like instagram or whatever it might be out there to let's say you know to, to capitalize financially on the desires and obscure exotic needs of some of the mark tards the the bottom dwellers of the wrestling world so in this instance i guess she had some requests from a fan or or possible fans that they wanted her to record herself and whatever it's which is even more strange it's just audio that's available of her I guess using the facility facility defecating. Right? <laughs> defecating. There we go. Yeah. So this is a this is about a 12 minute clip video of her just firing one out and she's giving a little naughty talk to this this little Mark Tard that would be that's forking over his hard earned cash, I suppose, or wherever the hell he obtained it from. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it's pretty ridiculous. If, if anything, it's just an over the top listen. I mean, you'll sit back, you, you'll crack up dying listening to it. Uh, if you are going to seek this thing out, go back and find the latest episode of the Jim Cornette Experience as they break this down. So to hear Mister Cornette, oh my God, trying trying to analyze what is what is playing out for your ears is is absolute audio gold. But I want to talk about you know that spinoff here. Everybody is so focused on the one little, you know, it's this running theme here. Everyone gets so focused on one little portion of a circumstance. So we're all hinging, hanging on, oh my God, she dropped the N-bomb. She dropped the N-bomb. That now when you have personalities, one like a, a Jim Cornette, and I and 
Booker T's getting a little heat for this thing because they weren't as focused on the slur or the comment as they are the overall booking and situation surrounding this whole, this entire old deal. Everyone's now chastising going after. Oh, they're not showing enough concern because she dropped the end bomb. No, they're looking at a bigger picture. They're looking at a grander perspective, what this means business wise. And if you're Tessa and your impact, this is, this is a small deal for you. This is a drop in the pond. What happened three years ago? That's already been brushed under the rug. That's already losing steam. Now you've got to worry about doing business. Was this the right move? Just putting the title on her. What does this do for your brand overall? Sure. You got that big, you've got that little pop there. You got that payday, if you will. You got that little acknowledgement. You made history. You put a major world heavyweight championship on a female. Good for you. What the hell does this do for your business and your product going forward? Yeah. I mean, what does this say about the rest, the rest of your roster, the you know, the rest of your your stories going forward? And I know I'm going to get the backlash on this. Well, you know, those days are gone. That era is past. Well, that's a problem with professional wrestling when we are breaking down those lines of where we can make the comparisons to reality. There's a reason that Ronda Rousey never stepped into the ring with uh, who who I don't Tank Abbott or somebody like that. Shit, right? You know. There's a reason you don't see Cheryl Swift playing in the NBA. Yep. Because you need to keep that defined line of that balance of reality. Keep that blur within professional wrestling. That's what makes it so tremendous. So now you've got Tessa is the, the top dog in Impact Wrestling. She beat Sammy. Okay. Now what does that say when Sammy goes out and beats you know all the guys that Sammy's beat? Uh, Taya beat Tessa, right? To take the title. Does that mean Taya is the baddest person in impact wrestling? Clearly. I mean, how do we stack our cards here? I mean, she wrestles with John Morrison all the time. So, you know. And that's that's where you run into these issues with this inner gender. And, And I know it works on certain levels. It works on your indie scene here. But when you're going to elevate yourself to that larger scale, you have to be very careful how you mix and match there. I mean, you don't. WWE in no way in hell is going to run, you know, Becky Lynch out there against Roman Reigns or Brock Lesnar. You mentioned something else there that I kind of want to touch on this Patreon thing. And a lot of the female wrestlers are doing a lot of very, very exotic things when it comes to this Patreon, but they can't do it on television because, you know, then that would be, you know, the object objectification of women and we can't do that i mean for god's sake wade keller lost his freaking mind that aew showed a girl in a bikini on fucking dynamite this week you know we we can't have any of that but it's cool if people like you know jordan grace want to go on their patreon and, and sell pictures of them wearing basically absolutely nothing you know, that's not objectification, you know, like well, that doesn't hurt the, the women's evolution, revolution, all this bullshit. But, you know, we can't do we can't have any kind of sexiness on television because that's just that's just out of bounds. Get the fuck out of here. Well, you know, and then then they'll twist it in their skewed way here that well, in their, their private setting or even, you know, someone like, uh, you know, smoke show, which going, that that's just self empowerment. But you can't comment on it. You know, someone that goes out there in that fashion, that's them being that's that's self-empowerment. But how dare you lust after that? Right. It's, and that is a turn in society that we're, that we're dealing with now. Absolutely baffling. But there is a line 
And there is a line that you cannot cross about what you can and what you cannot do on television. And unfortunately, there is also a line that you can and you cannot cross when it comes to Twitch.tv. And Impact Wrestling pushed that line and got their asses thrown off of Twitch because of this RVD and Katie Forbes angle that they did on, I guess it was Tuesday night, on uh, the most recent episode of Impact where RVD basically had a threesome on national television. Um, Rick, regardless of what the content is, this is just not good for Impact Wrestling. I mean, Twitch has become one of their largest partners as a company. And from what I hear, they're still doing under 100,000 viewers on Access TV. Yeah, those Access numbers never really firmly released. But, you know, it's been always rumored around in that area. But, to, you know, to speak towards the partnership they've had with Twitch, it's been a tremendous run with them. It's really kept, you know, that company relevant kept that head above water, and they've been great innovators for Twitch. Seen a lot of cool, you know, how you present professional wrestling shows and how now you can see that kind of influencing how other forms of entertainment are utilizing Twitch. It, it, it was funny, but it's it's sad to see that, you know, that they had this slap on the wrist. How long is the suspension? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm guessing that it's like a 30-day suspension, but I don't know. But, I mean, there's just some things that you can't do. And, I mean, this RVD thing. Like, did you watch this segment? Uh, I saw some clips of it. Like, I'm fine with it, okay? I don't really care. But I guess my question is, is there anything that transpired in that segment that got RVD over, that got either one of the girls over, or makes you want to see a fight? And if the answer is no, then why in the hell is it on a wrestling show? I, I, I guess I could tend to disagree there. You know, you're trying to get that excitement. In, and in RVD fashion, you push that envelope. You are edgy. You're trying to get people talking. I think this might be a bigger question of, you know, so many conversations that many people have is what is the direction of impact? And this is just them trying to be so many different things. And when you're trying to do that, you're pushing, pushing, pushing to see which is going to work. And this one kind of backfired on them. It's, I agree with one hundred. I didn't have any problem with this thing. You know, I, I kind of I laughed about it. Last week, you and I were joking. When you want to replace the smoke show for your sex appeal, you go get the the true life form of smoke show. You know, puff, puff, give yep. Rob Van Dam. That's what you get here. And this one, it, it got a little bit away from them. And as we're putting though, if you know, we're putting over this this absurdity in society with all of this the social justice BS here, you do have some instances where yes, impact. You, you should have read the uh, the terms of service and conditions here. Well, and I feel the way I feel about this is the same way that I feel about the whole Stone Cold and Brian Pillman angle from all those years ago, like they they had the envelope and they pushed it as far as they possibly could. And then they went over and now they're paying the price for it. You know, like it happens. Sometimes you push the envelope so far and sometimes you cross that line and they clearly did here. And WWE did clearly with the Pillman and Austin angle and USA was pissed and for good reason. It's just sometimes you push it too far. You got it, but you sometimes you got to push it too far to know what the limit is, you know? 
Let's talk about another uh, business deal that's kind of went awry for Impact Wrestling, and that's Brian Cage. Uh, all indications are, even though Melissa Santos denies it, that Brian Cage is heading for AEW. Although I do think that tweet that she sent out is actually correct. I think that this deal is agreed to in principle, but he had not signed the deal as of yet because by the time this thing was reported, the way that that would have had to work as far as the timing goes, the Young Bucks would have had to be standing behind the curtain with a contract for Brian Cage to sign as soon as he walked through the curtain. Um, I'm guessing that the deal is agreed to in principle, but the contract has not been signed. Rick, what do you think of Brian Cage going to AEW? What do you see as the ceiling for Brian Cage? Is he a main event talent to you in that atmosphere, or is this going to be one of those things where it's just a swing and a miss? Well, I mean, let's look at this grander scope here. We're talking about the use of social media. We kicked off the show you know, talking about pandering towards an audience. Uh, when say his wife, she's, she's going at them. She's trying to, I, I don't know, not necessarily pick a fight, but she's scolding this online audience, this internet wrestling community. I think it was just, it's bad business, bad marketing. Yeah. Just shut up. Right. I mean, that, I mean it's you, that simple. You don't need to say anything, it, but in this case, you do like to interact a little bit. And what you do is you could drum up some interest. Let's get people talking about this instead of shutting them down, trying to pick a fight with them. No, simply just put out uh, hashtag AEW dot 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 hashtag impact hashtag NXT hashtag MLW MLW New Japan. Get people talking, create more of a controversy again by saying less. Get people riled up. Don't feed into what they're trying to draw out of you. They're coming at you. All of these reports, all these indications. And you immediately go on the defensive. You're on. The, you're trying to go on the attack. Play in the game. Play the game. Now you're asking Jargo, where? What is his role? What is his spot here in professional wrestling? I think there's a major issue. Maybe one of the reasons that she what got so defensive here. There's got to be a great deal of concern over his injuries. Yeah, going back to when he won the Impact World Title. Um, and he took that Spanish fly off of the ramp to the floor, and he hasn't been right since. Well, and then coming out of hard to kill, uh, a torn bicep, correct? Well, it's hard to know if that was coming out of hard to kill or, or if was that he was working with it inside of it. Right. And that was okay. why they ran the angle the way that they did with Daga and taking Cage out very, very early with that crazy Van Terminator. Okay, then I actually would believe that the reason she went on defensive is they're trying to hide something. They didn't want that to get out there and, you know, until they can get this deal actually signed because he wasn't technically a free agent until midnight that evening. Right. Uh, so maybe you have an offer pulled off the table if something comes out. They're trying to protect that business. But again, you know, you don't necessarily have to go play right into the hands of these people that are on the attack. Work them. That's professional wrestling is when the talent is going to work the audience, work the fans. And it's one of the biggest key elements missing in today's landscape of professional wrestling. We don't have anybody that truly wants to be a heel. We don't have, I'll say many. There MJF, are very few, Jericho. a very few that want to be a heel, a very few that actually want to formulate evolve and master a persona 
and that very few that understand the very basic principles of a work. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't disagree. Um, where do you see Cage inside of AEW? Do you see him as a main event talent? Do you see him in that second tier? Does he fall by the wayside, kind of like the the Jimmy Havoc and Sean Spears? Like, where, where do you see Brian Cage in AEW? Man, you know, that's a tough question because he does have that unique look that they absolutely need. You need someone that looks like that million bucks, that looks like a pro wrestler, that looks like an over-the-top megastar. You have that with Cage. Uh, but I think he could very easily get lost in that shuffle because of he has to get his shit in. Mr. GMSI. You know, yeah, and it, eventually, you know, it, he's going to blur in. He's going to look just like everyone else where he could be something unique, where it is just that muscle and dominant force. But yet, as we see time after time, you know, he, he refuses to take that path to, to kind of adjust his moveset and his work rate to kind of play towards that factor. And I think if he did that, he would have the sky would be the limit in AEW because he'd be so unique. I think now after a month or so, the look's going to wear off and we're going to just be looking at the same moveset. And, and I do have to be honest, you know, I, I followed him through Impact and we've seen him in Lucha and some different things like that. It would be very telling and it could be make or break on that scale with AEW national television. Now we got expansion that wise for AEW. I know we're going to talk about that here in a minute, but is is his personality, is the persona enough to carry him? Yeah, and I, I think he really needs to listen to his producers because while I really, really like Brian Cage, there's a lot of times where I'm just like, why would you do that? Uh, and the biggest one was that matchup with Sammy Callahan when he ended up losing the title to Sammy, right? He's got this big personal feud with Sammy Callahan. I mean, he, he gets tied to the ropes. His, his wife gets pile-driven in front of him. Like, this is a real grudge match between him and Sammy. And when he comes out for the match, he comes out as like a, a Terminator cosplay. You know? And it's like, no, you shouldn't be doing that. You should be coming out here because you want to beat this motherfucker's ass. You know, like that's to me the disconnect with Brian Cage and the character that I want Cage to be. It's just too cutesy for me sometimes. Absolutely. So let's uh, let's shift. Let's which, talk. Which kind of which kind of puts him in as a perfect fit with AEW? <laughs> in a weird way, yeah, kind of does. Right, can you imagine the cosplay going on for the Brian Cage versus Kenny Omega match? It'll be absolutely you know, insane. It, 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 that, that brought up, I heard this conversation. Uh, actually, the first place I'd heard it is I was catching up on Cornette stuff this week. And, and believe me, I, I'm a fan of Kenny Omega. But I'm also a fan of when Jim, Mr. Cornette, goes absolutely berserk on him. And he brought up some good points. And then I heard the conversation on a few other podcasts. Are, are we seeing, is Kenny Omega in that style now that he's away from New Japan and those truly great workers there, is he getting exposed? I mean, maybe that the, the brilliant mind that we all believe that, you know, that resided inside the head of Kenny Omega for professional wrestling, that the true athlete, that just over-the-top performer, was a lot of that because of the situation of who he was working with, where he's working with, and now that he is the chef, that we're getting a little bit of, he's getting exposed a little bit? Eh, 
to an extent, I mean, I, and we see this with a lot of the talent when they come over from Japan. Basically, everybody, with the exception of AJ Styles, I've yet to see anybody pull it off as well as AJ Styles has. The, the style in New Japan Pro Wrestling, where you go out there and, I mean, all those matches with Okada. I think the shortest one was the G1 match where he finally beat Okada, right? And that was damn near a half hour, but all the rest of them went over like 40 minutes. Kenny tells his stories in the ring. The problem is, in America, we have to deal with commercial breaks, which breaks all that up. We have to deal with the the presentation. We have to deal with the over-the-top character work, which Kenny has never really done over in New Japan. And the other problem is, Kenny is a babyface. And I'm sorry, Kenny Omega, as a babyface, even in Japan, sucks. The thing that worked for Kenny Omega, the thing that got Kenny Omega over, was the cleaner. It wasn't this babyface goofball character that we have seen since he won the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. Since that moment, Kenny Omega sucks. Well, I was gonna okay, are we getting too much goofball? We're talking about just Kenny as a talent himself. I mean, we see so much into this cosplay and trying to tie video games into everything that he's doing. I mean, he's turning his matches into a video game. Yeah. Uh, so that has a great deal to do with this then, right? Is, is what you're saying here is that he is not he's not going the route, not using the tools that actually work for him. He needs to be more Xavier Woods. Where, like, we know Xavier Woods has that side of his personality. Up, up, down, down, and all, all the work that he does with the video game community. And every once in a while, you'll see a little sprinkle of it here or there into the New Day and that act. We need more of that with the cleaner versus what we have now from Kenny Omega. I, I could see Kenny with a trombone. You leave Kota Ibushi out of this. Billy Ray Valentine, but, you get very upset. Uh, uh, all right, so, all right, now, now stepping aside from that, I'm talking about the mind of Kenny Omega here. And this, this plays in perfectly to feeding the trolls online that recently in an Ask Me Anything, when he's presented about something about the, the ridicule or negative comments directed towards the AEW's women division, I mean, he takes great offense to this and pretty much says that people are kind of ignorant, that they're being unfair. And he kind of plays it off like it's an attack on the talent. Though actually what it is, it's an attack, not even maybe attack, an attack, but an observation about the creative management direction. And that falls on Kenny Omega. No, no, no. I completely disagree. And if you want, I can pull the, the quote. I don't have it here in front of me. All right. But I, I completely disagree with you. And I, I feel like the fans that he is talking to is a select group of fans that we see on Facebook and some of the discussion threads that we see on Twitter that like he's talking about the the stupid criticism like uh well you know Nyla Rose is a dude so uh okay you know he's talking about people like that and he cuz he did say in the quote he did say in the quote that he reads through all of the constructive criticism and takes it under advisement. He's talking about this stupid bullshit IWC that just wants to talk about women's asses and that Nyla Rose is a dude and offer absolutely fucking nothing to the goddamn conversation. 
That's the people that Kenny was talking about. Not people that are just like, hey, I think the booking of the women's division is wrong. I don't think Riho should be the champion. I think you should be looking at somebody like a Chris Statlander, like a Hikaru Shida. Riho doesn't strike me as a centerpiece. She's not connecting with the audience. The, the, The whole thing with the Dark Order and the presentation of it. Like, that is constructive criticism. But if you just want to respond with, well, she's a dude, so, uh... Just save your fucking breath. Save your fucking Twitter fingers. It's it's doing nobody any good. If he's talking about the absolute pettiness of the the pure definition of Mark Tards, you know, and it's it, you know a lot of people, you know, since we've kind of got this thing rolling, they misuse it themselves. And inside of that is it's somebody that cannot defend or come up with any sort of logic or reasoning behind a take that they have. Not that someone has to necessarily agree with it, but be able to be able to stand behind your observation, your take on anything, any walk of life. Yeah. So if he's going with the absolute bottom feeders, the the very petty marks that are out there, oh, you know, so and so, you know, Nala Rose is a dude, blah, blah, blah. I understand that. But there still is reason for criticisms observation and concern regarding this women's division. Now, going back this past week in the tag match involving uh, the nightmare collective and they're taking on who Rio, who did they take on? It wasn't Rio. It was, uh, but they were Statlander and Statlander and, um, Hikaru Shida, wasn't it? Yes. I mean, it completely missed the mark. No, no logic whatsoever inside of the booking in this match to do business going forward. And it's because it's almost like it was just sloppily put together. Okay, so I I actually looked up the quote there while you were talking. Now, the headline reads, Kenny Omega calls wrestling fans no class. Here's the actual quote in fucking context. Lately, most criticisms I read are incredibly ignorant depressing the amount of fans who have absolutely no class. That being said, I do try to sift through those to get to actual constructive criticism. That's the quote that the fucking wrestling media took completely out of context so that they could get a bunch of clicks on their website. Shout out to Jersey Mike. Yeah, he's talking about fans like you. All right, let's uh, let, let's talk about Marty Skrull. Um, I don't think he listens to the show anymore. Yeah, well, that's unfortunate. <laughs> uh, let's let's talk about Ring of Honor and Marty Skrull. Marty starts uh, going to work here. We have already seen the NWA alliance has kind of been reformed. We're seeing a whole bunch of talent announced for Supercard of Honor, WrestleMania weekend from New Japan. Like, seemingly, that relationship is being repaired. We're hearing all kinds of talk about a relationship with AEW for one reason or another, which makes absolutely no logical sense to me whatsoever. Rick, it seems as though everything is great if you're Marty Skrull. Everybody's putting this over about what a creative genius he is. And then there's Bully Ray. Bully Ray is getting a whole lot of flack for what he said on Busted Open Radio over the course of this week. He says, uh, being the booker is a very difficult job just on its own because you're worrying about the creative or direction for matches for the entire company. Marty being a top guy has to worry about the stuff he's doing. And now he has to be patient and a good listener for all of the other talent inside of the company. 
Rick, we have seen throughout the course of the years where the top guy is booking the territory and it doesn't work out, whether it's Dusty Rhodes, whether it's Ric Flair, whether it's Vern Gagne. What do you think is the potential for Marty here inside of Ring of Honor? Because at this point, I'm not sure anybody really has any idea. Well, you know, it's kind of funny. Everything, I guess these, we're on a roll here with these transitions and how things are working segment to segment here, Jargo. We're, we're talking about a direction of, of women's division and who's heading that thing up. We got some news that was dropping. It was either over the night or this morning is when I picked it up from William Alicia, great friend of the show, uh, works over at Last Word on Pro Wrestling, NDPW, always breaking news over on Facebook and Humming Media, Media Discussion Group. It appears that Bully Ray has been removed or dismissed as the creative control behind women of honor. Hmm. And, and now that will be handed over to Jonathan Gresham. Very interesting. I like that. And, and that, that move made and I don't know if it's coincidence or, or, you know, what kind of is entailed there that this would come after bully makes these comments this week, you yeah. know, going public with that. But I think, I do think that is a very fair assessment and you're not going to get anyone seemingly more real in this business than bully Ray. And I'm sure that he will be there to fully support ring of honor to, to give Marty his full support. And it, but again, it's a very fair assessment when you have to assume that top role, when you become creative control, a, a modern day booker, if you will, you have so many hats to wear and there are so much pressure on you. And especially when you're also in a position of someone like a Marty Scroll, where you will in yourself are a top draw. You are a top name, a marquee player inside that promotion. Now you said, you know, Jagger, you're pointing out in the past where we've seen some turmoil where it maybe it didn't exactly play out as expected, you know, with in the sense of like a dusty or a flare, a Lawler, uh, the Jarrett's, but but in a sense, too, they did have good runs as well. You know, there was success there. It just seems that you need to have potentially have that check and balance in place. Well, I think the biggest problem is going to be what we're seeing right now inside of AEW. Um, we hear one contingent of fans who complains because the Young Bucks never win and Kenny never wins and Hangman never wins. And then on the other hand, we have another contingent of fans that, oh, well, Cody's just pushing himself. Like, there's no winning. Like, no matter what you do, whether you don't push yourself or whether you push yourself, there's no winning with a segment of fans. And that's now the position that everybody knows that Marty Skrull is going to find himself in. Well, again, this is a societal issue where people are just so insecure about themselves that we want to tear down every bit of, of greatness, of success. So no matter what you do in these positions, you are going to lose. Which really, you know, as we talk things out here, and we're going just roundabout, we, we keep getting back to these to the, the center of that target, hitting that same mark there. It gives you a little great, a greater deal of appreciation for someone like a Vince McMahon or before, you know, kind of bowing down himself, the King of Kings, Triple H, that they would kind of just no sell this garbage. Yeah. You know, you, you have to keep rolling with your business. You know, you're the one invested. 
You're the one that's there day in, day out at the grind, giving your blood, sweat, and tears. You're the one that's done this from the ground up. You're the one that at the end of the day, that at the end of the month, the end of your journey, you're the one that's going to have to look in the mirror and see if you're satisfied. If you paid you do your dues and did all that pay off for you. That's the direction you need to go in here. Yep. Absolutely. Completely agreed. And you want to talk about a bigger picture here, the, the ultimate game of world domination, pro wrestling risk. Look at how these generals are lining up. Control of AEW. Got the book at Ring of Honor. Jericho over there just destroying it in Japan right now. I mean, look, look at how these party lines are starting to fall together. I do find it interesting that, you know, Jericho made all those comments about trying to open the forbidden door. And we had heard that Tony Khan was in attendance for Wrestle Kingdom. And we assumed that Tony Khan and Harold were going to sit down and maybe have a conversation and hopefully things would work out. Hell, even Moxley is the current IWGP United States champion. Clearly, these two companies have to have something brewing. And now we're getting all these announcements for Supercard of Honor now that Marty has taken over Ring of Honor. And suddenly it seems like the New Japan and Ring of Honor partnership is very, very strong once again. And AEW still on the outside looking at that New Japan partnership, which at this point, I'm not even sure that an AEW and New Japan partnership actually makes sense for either company. But let's let's take a look at some of the talent that's being announced here for Supercard of Honor. You have Switchblade Jay White. El Phantasmo, Will Ospreay, Dragon Lee, who is the current Ring of Honor television champion, but is primarily signed to New Japan. Kenta has now been announced for Super Card of Honor. And I am hearing rumblings that both Shingo Takagi and Hiroshi Tanahashi very well could be added to this show. Um, Rick, all of these talents do have one thing in common. They were all going to be in town anyway because it's WrestleMania weekend and they're working other independent shows. So it does make sense that they would appear at Supercard of Honor. But what does this tell you about the current standing between New Japan Pro Wrestling and Ring of Honor? Is Marty being in charge? Does that just immediately kind of, okay, we see what you're doing and we like Marty. We enjoy working with Marty. We will be happy to help you out. Yeah, I, I think that it's it's all of those things. You know, it's got to be the right situation. You know, it's not like you go out, like you said, you're not necessarily going out of your way to send talent over. You're not in some full fledged storyline arc where the two promotions are directly coming together. You're using a platform, such a a grand spectacle like WrestleMania weekend, where so many talents are going to be involved in different shows through you know, throughout the town, throughout the surrounding area that week. So let's all get together for this big one. For this over-the-top show here, we're going to put it under this banner here, but we're going to highlight everyone. And I think a loose working relationship like that is truly what's best for all of these promotions. You know, we're, we're, when it does happen, it truly is something special. And we don't want to see them fall back into the same practice of, okay, it's this time of the year. We got to do our New Japan Ring of Honor tour where we're just randomly we're dismissing what each promotion has going on inside of itself. And we're going to kind of kill all that off for a while. You know, we're, we're kind of going into WWE November mode. Nothing really matters here, but we're going to run all these incredible athletes out here. And just hope that, you know, that that indie style will buy into these shows. And I think you, what you've seen, the state of where Ring of Honor has found itself now, 
after the long-term effects of that, this is the payoff that we're getting there because now you're seeing lower attendance because people forgot to keep investing in your actual product because you were giving them all these spectacle novelty shows. Now, if you can avoid that, with sprinkling in some of those big attractions every now and then, then I think you got something unique and you got something special. Let's talk about one of our favorite shows that has now become a, a tradition over WrestleMania weekend, and I am talking about Game Changer Wrestling Bloodsport. Josh Barnett's Bloodsport going to be coming up. And Huckleberry, we now know that the match is finally going to happen. Josh Barnett versus John Moxley, GCW Bloodsport. That's going to be the headline. This was supposed to happen um, over SummerSlam weekend. But, of course, that's when Moxley got the uh, inflammation of the MRSA in his elbow. And so things got put off. The match is finally going to happen. I was looking forward to this thing back in August. I'm sure as hell still looking forward to this thing. I think I'm looking forward to it a little more now that we've had some time to let this set in, let that tease happen. And now that you've seen really uh, this full transformation, the return of John Moxley, what we've seen him doing in New, J- New Japan, a little bit of you know what we get there in, in AEW, which when you make that comparison to what we are seeing in Japan, is it's a bit too cartoonish. Yeah. Video game-ish. Yep. Uh, but to truly go back and you know see what – especially at Wrestle Kingdom, those two nights, everything that went down there, that has you very excited for this thing. And everything that Bloodsport itself, that style brings to professional wrestling, absolutely incredible. My favorite match that I've seen with John Moxley since he left the WWE is still that mashup that he had with Archer at Wrestle Kingdom. That match was freaking awesome. I absolutely love the hell out of that. I am looking forward to this, though. Another potential match that I'm looking forward to is Enzo Amore. And Tama Tonga. Tama Tonga has had enough of this shit. He has thrown down the gauntlet. Let's throw it over to a word from Tama Tonga regarding Enzo Amore. All right, Enzo, let's do this. Enough with the shit talking. Enough with your shadow boxing at the at the gym, ain't you need to be practicing wrestling. All right, let's do this. How you wanna do this? Wrestling match? You want a boxing match? What what you wanna do? Huh? What do you want to do? Shoot, fight? How you want to do this? Let's do it. Any promotion who books this, whatever we raise, we'll put it to charity. Whatever charity the fans choose, that's what we put it on. That's the only way I'm going to do this match if we put that money to charity. All right? Let's do it. So he wants to do it for charity, Huckleberry. He says, Enzo, you want to fight? Let's fight. I don't care if it's a wrestling match. I don't care if it's a boxing match. I don't care if it's a shoot fight. Whatever you want to do, we'll donate all the money to a charity. Put up or shut up time. Do you want what, to see this match? What's the charity? The the Enzo Funeral Fund? I think, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. I think Tama Tonga just absolutely murders Enzo Amore. The question is, does anybody want to see it? Unless it's one big work and... Uh... Tama just puts all of his money on Enzo in Vegas. <laughs> like, have they put enough into this thing at this point to where somebody is actually going to go out of their way to watch Enzo Amore versus Tama Tonga? Like, I mean, they've been working this for the better part of a year because this goes back to G1 Supercard last year inside the Garden. I think they would have to heat this up to kind of get some some real attention going because I'm not even sure how much you know it's in passing. You see the people inside the bubble, inside the bubble. 
talking about this. Right. But it, it seems like the conversation fades quickly. So they would have to find somebody to really get behind this thing, really get some endorsements, get some hype, build a nice little fire under this thing. But I think you could get there. And it, it's all going to be about that timing, especially if you if someone would jump onto this with WrestleMania week, I think that would be your greatest success. But again, you know, with, with everything behind this, I mean, how legit this could get. I mean, you're going to have to find somebody with the balls that's going to want to back this thing because it could get very ugly. Well, there's somebody out there who wants to back this thing, Rick. Josh Barnett takes to Twitter and says, all right, people keep tagging me about Enzo and Tamatonga. If they want to get in my blood sport ring, then they can hit me up and we'll put something together. Rick, I had no desire to see this match. I have no desire to see Enzo Amore versus Tamatonga in a wrestling match. But if you do it at Bloodsport, my interest suddenly goes way up. Yes, please. Do it at Bloodsport. The same card as Barnett and Moxley. That's my sub-main event. Fuck yeah, do it up. I want to see it. Uh, I'm just picturing now following a match at Bloodsport that that Enzo would likely he 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 wouldn't be that that juking and jiving you know mouth running son of a gun. I'm picturing more of a an aged superhuman after being pummeled at the hands <laughs> of Tamatanga. Love it, love it. All right, let's talk about uh, AEW. AEW inks a new TV deal with TNT. The deal is going to run through 2023. They also have an option for 2024. It is a $175 million TV deal. It comes out to roughly like $41 million a year, something like that. Um, One thing that is important to note, uh, AEW is now picking up production cost. Uh, TNT was picking up the production cost for the show. So that absolutely takes a big chunk out of this, even though there's still a hell of a lot more on top than what there was to begin with. Uh, The other thing that is going to happen is another hour of programming. I'm seeing a lot of debate out there that it's going to be AEW Dark that is going to be moved to TNT. That is not the case, at least not from my understanding, from my conversations with sources at AEW. It sounds like this is going to be a whole new show. It's going to be one hour of programming. Um, No time slot divulged yet, but it's not going to be on Monday night because they're not going to run opposite of Raw. It's not going to be Tuesday night because of the NBA. It's not going to be Wednesday night because, well, Dynamite's on Wednesday. It's not going to be Thursday night because of, you know, the NBA. Friday night is SmackDown. So if they run on Friday night, it's going to be in like a 1030 time slot on the East Coast. And then there's the potential 605 on Saturday. And that one absolutely gets my vote. Do it 605. I don't care if it's on the Superstation or if it's on TNT. It's still Turner Broadcasting. Give me a 605 show. Uh, absolutely stole my thunder there, yes, OP. No, no pun intended since everything here screams WCW. Hey, you're, you're, you were just talking about why the hell would AEW want a relationship with New Japan? Well, of course they would want a relationship with New Japan so they can bring back the, the Rising Sun Super Show. Everything go. has to be WCW. Right? Hey, I am I'm on board with you here. Bring back the 605. You know, as you said, it's still Turner. You can still get that little, you can still spin that bad boy for him. Uh, but 
what is kind of there that that kind of strikes my interest as you throw out you said your sources there is how are they going to do this? I know they're picking up some of it, splitting fees, but it's still very expensive. And are I mean, are you gonna do this all in that one shot, that one evening? Yes. Are you setting up another tour date? No. It's going to be all shot at the same time as Dynamite. So you're looking at about a three and a half hour sort of TV taping is what they're talking about. Um, Now, as far as... Uh, You're going to that three hours timing. So you're going to have to expand on that. So you're going to have about a four hour show that you're putting on for the live audience. Well, right now, right now they, they tape Dark and then Dynamite. And then there will be like one or two matches for this show as well. Because obviously, which I mean, you only need to fill 45 minutes of time right? with television. And you could easily slide in your vignettes, which they have done a masterful job with. And, you know, people are clamoring for more of. So you just add on two matches there, maybe three, all depending on your time frame. Uh, so it's, it's really not that much of a stretch. But I am absolutely with you. The 605 slot. And you really look at what is your what is your drawing value? I think you know a lot of people have traditionally you know that Saturday night was kind of hard, and it's and that's why in professional wrestling you never up until recently you've seen people staying away from that because families, fans, individuals they go out on Saturday night. That was the belief. Where you know the other nights of the week, you know Sunday for pay per view, those marquee events, they're they're at home because they got to get up the next day. I think when we're talking about societal changes, people are more homebodies now. Yeah, I agree. You know, it, I'm a regular, I'm a regular bar goer. I mean, that's no secret. People know the antics that, that I find myself in certain situations. Well, we regularly have this conversation at bars. If it's my group of friends or those older than me, that kind of the, the consensus is, you know, that, that demand, that need to be out socializing, that stopped with our age group. You get into these mid thirties and below, Jargo. They're socializing through social media. They're at, they're got, they're online gaming. You know, they're not. It's not that they're not partying or anything. They just go get their party goods and they go home. And that's where they're enjoying their time. Where you know, an individual like me, and I know back before you were a family guy. I mean, hell, it was. How soon can I get the happy hour every day? I, I got to go hit it. Close the bar down. Get up. Go to work. Do it again. Hit different spots. You know, you're out doing different activities. You just don't see that that drive, that desire from society anymore. So on Saturday, you have that audience built in here. But even at the 6.05 time slot, you're catching a lot of people before they're going out for the evening. So you're settled in. You, you know, you're flipping around. Even if it's a great sports day, you're flipping from channel to channel. If you got something appealing, you got something that's going to hold attention here for a little bit, they're going to stop. They're going to give you a look. So I, I don't think it's a bad time slot at all. My suggestion to AEW for this show is I wouldn't even worry about filming wrestling matches for this show. I think I would make this Vince Russo's favorite wrestling show. And that is a wrestling show with absolutely no wrestling matches. I think I would make this show a mixture of being the elite and the road Two series, along with some of the vignettes that introduce these characters. You only got to fill 43 minutes. Being the elite is already a half hour long. I think this would be my storyline show. And then you tune in to dynamite and dark to see wrestling matches. 
I don't think I would put any wrestling matches on this show. I would make this the storyline heavy show. I don't know. It's, you know what you regularly say. What's the point? It, why then? Why am I watching a wrestling show? I think you. you would need, I could. I could buy in. I'd entertain the conversation with you of one big match a week, two matches tops, and then it is heavily driven uh, at that point. Because then I think you're really dividing your audience. Where in most cases, yeah, I, I do care about the story in the ring. If you're going to give me a big payoff, but week to week matches, they don't really move me to watch the product. I'm there to see the advancement of the story. So you could take individuals like me, and I could completely just push dynamite out of my viewing habits. Yeah. I don't think you want that. I don't think you want that. You want to be able, you want everyone to have a seat at each table. It's a valid point, too. Um, I guess one of the biggest questions that I had when I had first heard this announced was, why is this new TV deal happening now? Like, what's what's the benefit of doing this now? It, it has happened quick, especially when you comparison to when you've seen how the other promotions, how they've grown their TV presence. And it took time. You know, it took you. You had to prove with that first step out of the gate that you were ready for that next big, you know, that next big hurdle. Uh, and this one's coming. I mean, not even a year in. Now let's take everything else that we have been talking about today. And let's take that into consideration. Do you think that it's a possibility that AEW went into TNT and said, listen, we just lost out on Marty Skrull. We just lost out on Mercedes Martinez. We were outbid for Brian Cage by Ring of Honor. We're lucky that we're getting him because he wants to come here because of the platform that we have. We need more security. And we need more security now. This timing just seems incredibly coincidental to me that Marty gets the new deal inside of ROH. We see Mercedes Martinez go to the WWE, which I still don't freaking understand how AEW did not lock that girl up. Rick, do you think that this very well could be more politics just being played on behalf of this war? I think, you know, that has to do that was probably a large part of the conversation in a big slice of the cake when it came to the final decision here. But as you were also alluding to Jargo, there's a lot of these details that we're still just assuming that are up in the air in conversation that we really don't know, you know, who's taking on what financial burden, what time slots, what are the expectations of this new show? Yeah, you know, I've seen some people, okay, you know, this means expanded rosters and all this and time stuff. I mean, they still have a lot of people, a lot of talents in the cupboard that we haven't been introduced to through television that you just know about if you're watching Dark. Absolutely. You know, it's it like Jimmy been- Havoc, Joey Janela, who, I mean, we had the pr- promo on Dynamite this week from Joey Janela, but for most of this 14-week run, he's been largely irrelevant. Sean Spears has been largely irrelevant. We only see Darby Allen like once every two to three weeks. Like, there's plenty of talent. Talent is not the problem that they have. Well, and I think, you know, in addition, when you're AEW and you're making this presentation, you're pitching this to the network and the network has got to be head over heels about the early success for this thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're going to talk in, about that in a minute. 
you know, week in, week out, you know, top 10, top five, up against some big competition. And you to go to them and say, you know, one of the things we made a commitment and and you as a network made a commitment to us as we can't as we became partners here is that we wanted to be an alternative. We wanted to give people a place where they could actually, you know, thrive and and survive in their real life. And we could showcase their talents. Well, right now we have got this this deep, deep talent roster. And we don't have the outlets to let that shine, to put that spotlight on them. Sure, we, you know, we've got our our social media shows. Dark is is doing fair numbers on that. But we got so many people we believe in that we want to keep on, you know, helping them grow forward, keep on supporting them. But unless we have another platform, we're not going to be able to do that. So can we strike some kind of deal here? If you believe in us as the network, show us you believe in us so we can show these talents that we can continue to believe in them and keep them on board. I mean, that could have been a huge part of this. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Rick, before we uh, talk about Dynamite and NXT this week, um, I, I have to bring this up because I realized over the course of this week that we have been looking at this war entirely the wrong way. It is completely irrelevant if AEW is getting more viewers than NXT. The war is not between AEW and NXT. The war is between AEW and TNT and NXT and USA. TNT is over the freaking moon with AEW right now. AEW is up 87%. The Wednesday night ratings for TNT are up 87%. Versus what they were before AEW debuted. They were at an average of 492,000 viewers with what they were running on Wednesday nights. AEW is averaging right around 940,000. By comparison, NXT is down for USA Network. They are down roughly 20% from what USA was running before they put NXT live on USA. Rick, I think NXT might be in some real trouble, and it has nothing to do with all elite wrestling. It's just NXT on USA. This very easily could be going back to the network sooner than later. And, you know, one of the biggest concerns when this move was being made in the, the elevation, the next level, pun intended, shout out to Bella, of NXT. When they made that move to network, I think it became very real in the eyes of so many fans that this is WWE. Yep. This is the red and the blue. This is the oversaturation. This is the personification of sports entertainment which still has that stigma of killing professional wrestling. It has the the 80, what it, how old is Vince now? The 70-year-old, 83-year-old stench of Vince McMahon all over it. It screams big old Bucky. And you're, those that are in the bubble, in the bubble, that we're going to support this thing, that we're absolute diehards, fanatics for it when it's on the network, now they feel that they've been 
lied to, that they have been turned, that they have been that they've been forgotten. Because now this thing has become corporate WWE. Because it's no longer a show for you. Because now it's a show that needs casual fans. And we saw the casual fans flock to NXT during November, during the Survivor Series, when they built all of the three brands together. And that was the only time that NXT put up any kind of fight against AEW. And as soon as the Survivor Series hype was over, and as soon as all of it went away, we've watched the viewership slowly go back to the same place that it was before November and before the Survivor Series hype built. You know what? Go go get into the vault. Uh, if it's here on the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, if it's Mondays in the locker room, the Hameen Media Group, go get in the vault. Because there were two voices screaming, terrified that this was going to be the situation that would fall upon NXT. Yep. And here it is. And, and while everybody else saw you guys are crazy, you, you just want to scream about everything. You can't be happy in a moment. Well, it's a bigger picture. It's not about the instant gratification and satisfying your needs right then because there's a bigger picture because the day after Survivor Series, you started anew. And what was left for the gold standard? Absolutely nothing. And they've been doing some, hey, there's been some great action, some great, exciting entertainment coming out of NXT. But when you begin to pile up those labels that are associated with the red and the blue and Vince and Bucky and sports entertainment, you kill and you strip away the very essence, what made NXT so special. And while they are at battle with themselves, they're going to find themselves trying to justify their existence to a network. That is their reality right now. On the other hand, AEW continues to find success by beating their chest and proudly proclaiming they are a promotion for the fans run by the boys. Everything the exact opposite of what you're seeing right now from NXT. And it's crazy. Watch an episode of AEW Dynamite. Watch an episode of Monday Night Raw or Friday Night SmackDown. And it's crazy watching the fans. Like, screw what's going on in the ring. Don't even pay attention to it. Just watch the fans. Just watch the people. That AEW crowd is on their feet and they are hooting and they're hollering and they got signs and they want Hangman to drink their beer and they're just fully engaged and into it. And then you watch Monday Night Raw and you watch something like, you know, Sarah Logan and Charlotte Flair and everybody just sits on their hands and looks at their phones and waits for the segment to be over. Like It's just, it's not a fun atmosphere. WWE TV tapings, they've just lost that because it's such a well-oiled machine at this point where the crowds are just plug and play, you know? They don't even care. Well, and you go for years. And I know it was storyline-driven and all that, but it begins to settle in, and especially when more and more fans, even you know, even if they're daily into this, you know, if they're checking it hourly, I mean, even if they just come by stories here, 
when you're conditioned by the company to tell you we're in control, we're going to give you what we're going to give you and you're going to like it, it, it just settles into your psyche. And that's what you've gotten with WWE. And then you've got this backlash where the fans there, they feel like they have to push, push, push. They are a part of the character to help dictate and direct where these storylines are going. Where with AEW, they they their management style is to embrace that. In return, the fans have embraced it. They're playing along with everything, which it makes for such a, a tremendous environment. Even when stuff doesn't necessarily make sense. And there was plenty of that on this week's episode of Dynamite. I, I would say overall, you know, I thought Raw was, was a very solid show. I really enjoyed NXT. I, I couldn't wait till we get to talk about NXT. Some things on the show that I absolutely just want to praise. And I, you know, I thought, you know, AEW, the good things that they do every week, they continue to do a little bit of business, moving things forward. Uh, but there was some cheesy stuff and some just very questionable creative decisions throughout the show. So I, I didn't think this was one of their better weeks. Yeah, no, I, but I their, agree. But their, their energy, their excitement was there. And that's what is putting them over. That's why they keep succeeding week in, week out. One thing that they're absolutely doing right is they have got Kenny Omega and Hangover Page on the right track uh kenny omega and hangman were were kind of off in the distance and and everybody wondered what in the hell was going on with them during those first 12 episodes or so and now all of a sudden this cowboy shit is getting over i'm what i'm now dubbing omega hangover defeat the best friends the young bucks and proud and powerful to kick off dynamite and become the number one contenders it's going to be scu versus omega hangover on a boat um Huckleberry, I, I, I like Hangover Page. I like what they're doing with Hangover Page, even though most of the time I'm not a big fan of alcoholism in professional wrestling. We've never really seen it done very well. I mean, we saw Hawk from the Legion of Doom become an alcoholic, and, and it was an embarrassment. We had everything going on with Scott Hall when he was walking around just getting hammered. But this Hangman thing, this cowboy shit, it seems like it's getting over with the AEW crowd. I'm just, they have to be very, very careful about how they play this. An Omega hangover. You know, I, I think I might go get one of get myself one of those for tomorrow. Yeah. I, I thought that was a nice little, uh, the Omega hangover. There you yeah, go. Yeah. I, I like that. It, and I do like, and I saw this on the run. This is something that really, you know, jumped out at me, you know, talking about how you play to alcoholism inside of professional wrestling. And I am one that's, I love when you can take a sample something from real life because it is something that's there. Shit. You know, I, I walk that fine line myself at times here, you know, uh, and, it, and it is how it's presented. And one thing I wanted to, you know, to make sure there is, I don't think people should be offended by it in any way. This isn't one of those cases. I want the, the social, social justice where, Oh my God, you know, that's a real issue that people deal with every day. And you're going to exploit this on television. Now, get out of here with this. That is a real issue that people deal with. So, yes, it should be talked about. We should be seeing it here. Now, you are correct. We've had some examples in the past where it has just gone off the tracks. Terribly wrong. Like the one there was you were talking about with, with Hawk. Yeah, when and he fell we, off the Tron. Yeah, that was absolutely in poor taste. You didn't need to go to that extent. And I think that was more about uh, showing a, a suicide death or whatever, that more so than it was – the alcoholism. 
uh, with Scott Hall, that, that wasn't a storyline or a gimmick. That was actually real. That was reality television. We can go with that. But but you're right. You know, I could see you got to walk that fine line there. But what we've seen so far, it's fun. People are getting engaged. He's going out there, slamming some beers in the crowd. You're getting fan interaction. As you said, people are bringing the signs in. And I'm okay with how they've done it here. He's got a couple under him. He's ready to fight. That's what you do. <laughs> yeah, so far, I'm I'm absolutely fine with it. This week, I did take note um, that after the match, as they were heading up the, the ramp, Kenny took his beer away. And then he ended up, he ended up going and grabbing another one. But I'm wondering if that's going to finally be like, what is the deal breaker between these two guys that, you know, Hangman's like, quit taking my fucking beer. I'm fine. Although I still like the idea of out of this entire thing, Kenny is the one that ends up turning. Kenny's the one that ends up being the leader of the Dark Order. And Hangman is a- actually, he just enjoys a couple of beers every once in a while. Like, he's hes not an alcoholic. He's fine. He's off doing cowboy shit. Yeah, you know, I like, I appreciate everybody's concern, but no, I'm good. Kenny's the one that's fucked up. Let's talk about Kenny. That's what I'd really like. So right now, the way they're playing is here is you got Kenny is kind of that good guy as you in the segment there with SCU. You know, hey guys, we're all friends. We we traveled the roads together. You, know, you got Kenny playing like that nerd, that good guy. He's breaking everything up, and you, know, you got Hangover, who's the guy that's had a couple too many, thrown back a couple shots. He's just ready to go at the honky tonk. You know, make a little ruckus at the dive bar. Shit, I've been there before. I got plenty of friends that are down with it. Uh, I would love that the direction that you're saying. Let's put that a twist into this thing, where ultimately he was just it's just a blue collar good old boy. He's having a little fun, raising a little hell. Getting up, doing his work, going hitting the happy hour. It's fine. If you want to give me a beer, I'm going to drink the motherfucker. Like, you know, I'm doing cowboy shit. That's the meaning of cowboy shit. You give me a beer and I'll fucking drink it. You know, instead of hangover, you know what I'd really like to see is the gimmick. Instead of hangover page, how about keg stand page? Ooh, keg stand page. That could be fun. That's the next evolution of the character. <laughs> See, I always yeah. thinking six months ahead, Huckleberry. I like it. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Cody the Coward. Uh, Cody the Coward finally, finally, after like two weeks, accepts MJF's proposal to a fight at Revolution. Um, and Rick, this is one of those things where Cody has gotten so good and Cody is so over that people are like, wow, that was a great promo. See, I, I was going to okay, I, I see where you're going here, because I was like, I'm sitting there thinking, like, I didn't really care for this promo at all. No, it was awful. It was awful. Like, if you read a transcription of this promo, it's all over the place. It doesn't make any sense. He, like, he accepts the fight, and then, like, three minutes later, he accepts the fight again, like... This was just a bunch of random thoughts thrown together on a piece of paper that Cody memorized and said, okay, coach, let's go. Uh, This promo was not good, but Cody says it was such great conviction and such great timing and he's over and that crowd is just hanging on every word and they're like, wow, that was so great. No, it wasn't. That was a really shitty Cody promo. I mean, I don't think it was a good promo all around, but especially from what we've come to expect from from Cody. He's just he's got that crowd, man. He's got that crowd and they listen to him so super intently. Like, it's crazy to me how over Cody the coward is. Well, again, even, you know, in this, is he going to accept? Why is this being questioned? 
Is he yeah, going I mean, to this- accept if, if the conquering hero is Cody the Coward? And I'm still missing. Where's the fire? Where's the adrenaline? Where is the pure hatred at? I, I don't feel this is anywhere near that blood feud level that we should be at yet. Well, MJF clearly is going to whip Cody's ass. I mean, like MJF is fired up about this. Like he's ready to go. MJF is the conquering hero. Cody was right. MJF is a baby face. Y'all are pulling for the wrong guy. Cody's a little bitch. And he owes me a whole bunch of money for saying Los and Gobernables right. God damn it. Let's talk about his wife. God damn, she looked good in this match. As long as you didn't have to watch her wrestle. Brandy and Mel take on Cat Stan Landler and uh, Hikaru Shida. Um, and this is an early nomination for worst match of the year. This thing was just an absolute freaking mess. I don't even know how to begin to break this down other than this was a mess. Rick, what in the world do we do with this AEW women's division? Because you had two of the better ones in here. You had Chris Statlander and Hikaru Shida, both of which I think pretty highly of, even though I think most people are way higher on Statlander than I am. Um, but this thing was a mess. Well, I, I think, you know, with, with good cause, those that are high on Statlander. And I also see, you know, where you're at, where you're maybe not there yet. And it's because they haven't progressed her along enough for it. It's She's Lacey you know, Evans. Yeah, it's it's kind of hot shot in here. I, I, think she, uh, I think she's got a great look, great persona. Those things are attributed to Lacey Evans. But I think Statlander can absolutely go inside this ring here. But what are they doing to really sell that, you know, to hammer that home and on that grander scale to that larger audience? You know, unless you're really going to go do your homework and, you know, search out her background here, even if you wanted to do, I mean, what, what is the intrigue? What have they done for someone to make, you know, make you take your time, your busy schedule to go see, you know, dive a little deeper into her background and see what she can truly bring to the table here. Uh, Inside it's, Actually, that's what I was asking before about this pettiness. I get that. But there is reason for concern. There's reason for constructive criticism when it comes to this division. It is all over the place. I look across the board here. There's some tremendous talent, uh, marketable personas, great marquee players, and they continue to miss the mark here. I do hope with the expansion of the the second show on television that we're going to get a great deal of importance and emphasis placed on this women's division because they are missing out on this thing especially as you know their demographic who are they are trying to target their movement of a company it seems like the women's division would be much more of a focal point for them and i understand you're they're still in their infancy of this program you're trying to get so much off the ground you can even see this right now that the tag division while certain aspects of it yeah they're they're really focused in on her working but as a whole, it seems to be all over the place where we're kind of just getting these, okay, let's throw things together. Everybody get out there for these, these crash test dummy style matches that we, you know, that open this show. I, I don't know what the solution is. Um, I do know that these matches certainly don't need to be like 13 minutes long. Um, and they're just trying to do too much. You know, like the the one move in this entire match that looked good was that superplex because, you know, it's pretty hard to show light on a superplex. Right. But like if you can't do a good looking kick to the head, then here's an idea. Don't kick somebody in the head. Well, 
okay, like you said, this 13 minute, 13 minute plus whatever here, you could have split this into two and had two short and sweet segments to highlight more talents inside your division, getting things over here, telling us some stories, run a vignette or something. You could have divided this time and been much more effective. And then even inside the match itself, this booking, whoever laid this match together, I mean, it, it made no sense at all. And this would have been great intrigue if you could have kept Statlander away from Brandy. Now, Brandy could have, t- you know, got physical, took some cheap shots, and then dipped and dodged. Absolutely. That would have been, that would have pushed this story. And there's, a, you know, right in the middle of this match, when they do catch each other one-on-one in the ring and you get Brandy, she goes to the plead. You know, hey, this isn't what you want. You know, this is a misunderstanding. Let's talk this out. You should have had Statlander somehow a distraction. You know, you don't make her look stupid, but there is something that give Brandy that opening to take that cheap shot. But instead they go, Statlander hitting a big-ass roundhouse on her and knocking her out. You've wasted a build to a tremendous pop there. And then to have the babies go over in this thing, you're completely completely screwing over this momentum that you're building behind the nightmare collective. And then even if you are having them go, I don't having them go over in either situation, have Brandy take the pin would have been a disaster. So they go the other route. They have the other girl who is very talented, who is one of these enforcers of the nightmare collective, you know, outside of obviously calling there, but to have her in her debut, first time in this ring, showing what she's got to eat a clean pin here, you screwed over. I, I don't want to use a term like buried here, but you have screwed over this Nightmare Collective. And I, this whole thing with them, too, I, are you buying the addition of the dude from Japan in this thing? I mean, what is he adding to this? What is the intrigue? So far, nothing, because we don't really know anything about Luther. Um, And I did want to comment on Luther because I thought it was interesting that when Hikaru Shida came out, there was like this stare down between Hikaru Shida and Luthor, and she ended up having to pull out the kendo stick and like beat up on Luther a little bit before she could even get into the ring while both Brandy and Mel were jumping all over Statlander. Like, did I miss something? Is there like some kind of heat between Luther and Hikaru Shida going back to their time in Japan? Or could you at least make up a story that there is and tell it to me? Because as it is, this didn't make any sense to me. Like what's the heat between Luther and Hikaru Shida? I mean, right now the only real background we're getting on Luther is he was a deathmatch wrestler from Japan. Yeah. Is Excalibur just screaming that repeatedly with, with no substance. And to his I, comments with it. If he was a deathmatch wrestler in Japan, that's great. Um, I know a guy that used to be a deathmatch wrestler in the UK who also happens to be under contract with AEW. So, like, maybe find a reason for Jimmy Havoc and Luther to cross paths and see what happens, whether they have chemistry together as a tag team and they go on a tear, or maybe they have chemistry against one another and you could have an undercard program that maybe people could invest in and you could introduce two new characters and get them over. Oh, wait, that doesn't seem to be the agenda right now. Yeah, it's just, it's very disconnected. Yeah, it, it'd be just a placement of Luther. I mean, I, I love how you bring this up here. If we're sitting in this meeting, we're pitching ideas. Oh, let's put him with the Nightmare Collective. No, I mean, how about, you know, we get him in something with Havoc or we have him start hunting Darby Allen or something like that. Yeah, like, that would make sense. Even with the Nightmare Collective do that, you know? I, I, I'd be down with that. Havoc and Luther together as a tag team, that actually intrigues me. 
Uh, let's talk about what they did right on this show. John Moxley versus Sammy Guevara. I loved the hell out of this match. Sammy Guevara is damn near a perfect heel. Like, Sammy has elevated his stock so far in the last 14 weeks, and I think he's only won, like, maybe two matches. But he goes out there and he gets himself over because he is the most annoying little puke with the most punchable face that you've ever seen. He's a great heel. He is just a great, great heel. He looks like a million bucks. Even the way he does his hair just looks fucking stupid, and you want to smack him upside the head for having stupid-ass hair like that. He is a great heel, and I'm loving the entire, like, cue card promos. I just think it's fucking fantastic, and it's so fucking Jericho. Like, Jericho had this idea for Sammy to go out there, like, Go out there when you catch your promo. This is what I want you to do. Just go out there with cue cards and do it in like the the picture in picture. Do it during that break. It'll be fucking great. It'll get over huge. Sammy Guevara over huge. He is the perfect embodiment of that millennial that you just want to beat the shit out of. You just fucking hate him. He's great. He's just you know you want to grab him back behind his trunks, pull him up over his head, and dip his head into the toilet. And just hitting with the ultimate swirly. I mean, it's it's amazing what they've done with him here. It, in that regard, he is absolutely, man, he's knocking it out of the park, hitting all the marks. I think the position, what he's pulling off, not making that they would have been the same personas. But in that position, it, I think what he's achieving is what a lot of people expected from Joey Janela. Yeah, very much so. Absolutely. And Joey Janela is about what everybody expected out of Sammy Guevara. Yeah, I mean, hell, the Joey Janela promo this week, I mean, it just screamed. I mean, it's, I had issues with that are the same issues I have when I'm talking with a promoter about marketing and production, about how we need to be more selective and deep in the thought process when we're having local indie talent cut promos. I mean, that's what this promo was. And they gave this to us on TNT national television. I thought it was garbage. Yeah, I agree. Um, And the thing is, like, is there anything inside of the Joey Janela character that we know from the independent scene following him for the last few years where you want to stick him in front of a camera for a pre-tape and say, when the red light comes on, go? Like, no, you need Joey Janela playing off of somebody. You need somebody like a Tony Schiavone standing there with a microphone that Joey Janela can insult Tony Schiavone and start getting that personality across before he says whatever it is that he needs to say. The way that this is not the right presentation of Joey Janela at all. I absolutely. And I think he's when you're talking about that, that, that dance partner, someone he can play off of. I think he's good in situational promos as well, where the atmosphere all around him. Now, yeah. one thing I would love to see, like if you're going to work some promos in the show, and I think this would be tremendous and a great way to tie in some scenes together is like if you got Hangman at the bar and when he l- exits the bar, somehow you just get a glimpse of a few stools down. There's Janela. Yep. And then let him do some interaction there. I think he could play off, you know, those different atmospheres so well. This idea, okay, let's put him in a very generic backdrop that was completely doesn't doesn't make any kind of sense. It's almost, hey, let's just find a quiet spot back here in the back. Somebody hit play, cut whatever you want, dude. 
here's your here's your guy that you might be wrestling in a month. You probably know very little about him, but make sure you hit the show dates and say the name of the promotion five times. <laughs> That's what it was. A, it was a perfect indie promo. I don't say perfect. It was the the stereotype for indie promos. Yeah, it, it just doesn't work. Doesn't work for Joey Janelle. I also feel like his act has really lost something since him and Penelope aren't together anymore. Like just having Penelope there, like hanging all over Joey Janela, just made Joey Janela a lot cooler. Yeah, I mean, a hot girl's gonna do that. I mean, now he's just like that creepy sleazeball. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. He, he's the guy that, like, on the way home from work, that I see standing outside of the bar at like you know seven o two, waiting for them to open up the door. Yeah, I mean he's. He's the pro He's wrestling the version of Frank Gallagher. He looks like the guy that can legally buy beer, but is still hanging out outside the high school football game. <laughs> yes. Yes. Speaking of that and, guy. And, and not and not in a, it'd be a lot cooler if you did. Win. <laughs> Speaking of that guy, let's talk about DDP. Yeah. <laughs> Your dad's still hanging out at the, uh, at the high school football field talking about his glory days. Hey, man, dad's giving away a million dollars, though. DDP, Dustin Rhodes, and QT Marshall versus The Butcher, The Blade, and MJF. Um, Rick, this thing was fine. Um, My only complaint is I feel like they should have put MJF over stronger in this entire scenario. I I loved it early on. I thought that's what we were getting. I thought this was just going to be directed towards MJF. And then it just took that weird twist where... Like they were trying so much for that nostalgia with DDP, yeah. And, and I don't even—I don't even think this moment needed him. No, like this match went twice as long as I thought that it should. I, I just felt like this should have been the Butcher, the Blade, and MJF over strong. Right. I mean, QT Marshall, what fifty-five-year-old Diamond Dallas Page at this point? Like, yeah, that's cool. Give him like a, a two to three-minute hope spot. And then they just get shut down. That's it. Didn't need to go as long as it did. Uh, How about uh, MJF t-shirt, though? That was pretty good. MJF is a goddamn national treasure. It's fantastic. What, what did it say? Was it like I banged <laughs> I banged DDP's daughter? Yeah. Yeah. And if, if you want to do that, because he said that like two or three weeks in a row now, don't you think we should at least meet DDP's daughter? Don't you think like she should be like shown and sitting in the crowd or something when DDP is out there? Oh God! I mean, AEW is already running multiple gimmicks on their shows and storylines. Uh, so now he's going to do that again. I mean, that's Britt Baker's thing. <laughs> valid, valid. Uh, Darby Allen versus Pac. Thought it was good. Uh, once again, Darby Allen's stock just keeps on rising. But I thought Pac winning was the right set up uh so next week it's going to be Pac versus mox on a boat I, i'm gonna say i i did I, I missed the main event i meant to go back and watch it i just it slipped my mind uh because one of the few times what was going on on nxt absolutely grabbed my attention and i said this this takes precedent over anything happening on dynamite um, how do you feel about next week's main event on AEW Dynamite being Adrian Neville versus Dean Ambrose? I'm okay there. 
Or, uh, or, or are you far enough past it that you don't even make that association? I, I don't make that association. I haven't made that association since those individuals left that company because they are completely different. I think it's asinine. Oh, it's WWE guys. And I know, you know, there are some individuals out there that, and they're just really going to love to eat this thing up that WWE guys are, are main, having the main event or AEW is having to rely on this to try to sell something. Uh, to me, that's absolute BS. John Moxley is not Dean Ambrose. Pac is not Neville. This is who they truly are. This is where they should have been. These are the money makers that WWE wasted away. Yeah, that they did. Uh, Speaking of wasting away, let's talk about NXT. Uh, Because next Saturday, Huckleberry, is going to be Worlds Collide. That's coming up here uh, already. Um, I don't feel like the build to this has been nearly what it should have been. I feel like this is a complete swing and a miss. This is basically like an NXT version of Survivor Series. And I didn't care about brand supremacy back in November. And here it is in January. And I still don't give a shit about brand supremacy. Uh, absolutely. This, I mean, it is what it is. It's something there, I guess, for those that are making the journey to the Royal Rumble to include a, a nice weekend package. It's going to be fun, exciting action for those in attendance. It's going to be something where there's a little bit of a sports lull for the weekend on a Saturday afternoon. So we'll probably sit back and watch the thing. But other than that, where's the investment? Where's the entry? And it seems when you run down this thing on paper and you start looking around at the talents that are maybe kind of left off and how they place this thing together, it seems that they really missed out on something special that they could have done between these two. Well, and my biggest fear is this is going to screw up Portland, too. Um, because very much like they did during Survivor Series, all of a sudden they are reti- relying on NXT to sell two shows at the same time. Even Mauro Ronaldo got confused this week on NXT talking about one of the matches uh, yeah. and where it was going to take place. He he caught himself. I'm sorry. I said this is not going to be. Uh, it was at during the main event. It was at the close there. Yeah, when they're naming a number one contender in the women's battle royal. You know, he even he gets caught up there. And I also think when you're talking about selling two shows, I also this also hurt. You're talking about your fear for Takeover Portland. It it absolutely took away from from Blackpool too. Absolutely, because your focus wasn't solely on what was happening inside that brand, inside that promotion. You got these outsourced outside sources at play, which take away from th- that moment that. That bubble you're in at the time. Yep. Don't like it. Um, so for Worlds Collide, here is the card. Imperium versus the Undisputed Era. It's going to be an eight-man tag match. Rhea Ripley versus Tony Storm for the NXT Women's Championship. Finn Balor versus Aisha Dragunov. Uh, Huckleberry, this week we just got to see a, a promo package from Finn talking about Dragunov, and I thought it was a fantastic promo package. The only thing was it didn't feel like it was Finn Balor. It didn't feel like evil Finn Balor, like, I'm going to kill Aisha Dragunov. Like, who the fuck does he think he is? I'm the leader of NXT. Like, he's putting over Dragunov and how good he is and how he reminds him of himself. And, you know, but if you want to step up to me, then I'm going to have to put you down. Like, it was a great promo. It just didn't feel like 
It felt like Finn Balor of a year ago promo, not current Prince Finn Balor. It, it certainly felt like a step back. And that's an issue, as we're talking about. When you get into these circumstances where it's brand versus brand, you're you're denying what you built. What Finn Balor has been on absolute terror since going back to NXT, making the heel turn, redefining himself, you know, not not pandering to these audiences. Now, sure, this is 101 put over your opponent, but that goes into a context of of who the speaker is and how you're delivering this. And this doesn't make any sense for what we've known from Finn Balor right now. I mean, this this very well could have been he could have gone away, hey, yeah, you are talented, so and so, blah, blah, blah. And maybe at one phase of my career where everybody was so high on me, you know, when I throw out there, you know, when I won the Universal Championship, make those comparisons. But then, you know, you firmly reinforce that's not me anymore. I am not just the best in any NXT. I am the best in the universe. That's the Finn Balor I'm expecting. Yeah, it, it, like a good promo, just felt like a disconnected promo. Uh, Angel Garza is going to defend the Cruiserweight Championship against Swerve, and either Legero or Jordan Devlin or Brian Kendrick or Travis Banks. Yeah, it's going to be a four-way. We're just not exactly sure who all the participants are going to be yet. Um, I, I would really like to see Jordan Devlin get his way into this match and win this match. Although, I'm just assuming that this is going to be a throwaway cruiserweight championship that nobody's going to care about. Uh, I'm with you, absolutely. There's going to be one of those flip-flops and oohs and ahs. This is useless. This is awesome chance and be on our way. And then there's the match that I cannot wait to see that was announced this week on NXT. So we get all of 10 days to uh, look forward to this match. It's going to be DIY one last time. Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa taking on Mustache Mountain from the UK. The team of Trent Seven and Tyler Bate. Huckleberry, this match is going to be fucking incredible. I don't care who wins. I don't care how much storyline they have going into it. But God damn it, I wish they would have built one rather than just giving us a 10-day build to this ridiculous dream match. You know, when this goes back to the very beginning and you're talking about timing and your release of information to create that excitement and get people invested, you really get that vibe out there. To me, when you know that Worlds Collide is coming back, that you're going to run this Royal Rumble weekend, you want it to be this over-the-top, pun intended, event. This should have been the kickoff announcement. You should have brought both of the general managers together and made this announcement. And I don't know if I would have done it, which show I would have done it, probably just because you really need those ratings as do it on NXT USA. Uh, or maybe you do it on a larger scale. You do a, you know, a special announcement on a network at, at a pay-per-view. Uh, maybe you do it on Raw or you go live on Fox saying, hey, remember how hot it was when NXT's here? Well, we, we've got both of the general managers coming live to Friday night on Fox with a huge announcement about the Royal Rumble weekend. And then we get this Worlds Collide and they say, oh, by the way, representing each of our brands, we've decided – and then you announce this match. I mean, that would have right out of the gate, people would have been buzzing for this thing. All depending, you know, 
lack of storyline build, whatever, this would have set a tone of such great excitement that I think our conversation here, we would be more enthusiastic about right now. Instead, they decided to feature Imperium versus the Undisputed Era in an eight-man tag match. And while that match is going to be good, it's heel versus heel. And people just don't emotionally invest into that, especially the way that it's been presented. Um, well, I, I think what's even more problematic for NXT, for WWE, look at the reactions. You know, going back to, yep. to the UK takeover, to Blackpool, it is heel versus heel. But you've got more of a traditional heel force in Imperium, and then you've got the cool anti-authority in Undisputed Era, I mean, you're, this just this is built as like brands, but I mean, we're talking about nations. We're talking about continents. We're, we got to divide the great drink here, and this should be something that's going to get fans against one another. You go over to the UK, and they're cheering the shit out of Undisputed Era. And I thought it was interesting because in his promo, Tommaso Ciampa framed Imperium like they were the baby faces which I found to be a very interesting spin on things. Um, to kick off this week's show, we had Undisputed Era versus Keith Lee. At least that's what it became. Keith Lee comes out to start the show, kicks it off with a promo, felt very, very Monday Night Raw, where a guy just stands there and holds court. But, Rick, what did you think of Keith Lee? Because inside a Full sale, while they're sitting there singing his song, he's got an awful lot of charisma, and he had that place in the palm of his hand. Is that going to translate to a Monday Night Raw or a Friday Night SmackDown? Well, I think, you know, these are growing. This is growing for Keith Lee. We haven't seen a whole lot of that from him and his, you know, his run through the indie and all that. Obviously, great flashes of that charisma, that persona. But on this stage, he's going to have to cultivate that. And, and that's what we're getting. That's why he is in NXT. And I think now that more people are going to see that. And I, I think that they should sprinkle him in here or there, uh, hoping that he gets a surprise entrance into the Royal Rumble and is able to use some of that body language and be able to play with the audience. And I think that'll give us a really good you know, impression of, of what his potential is. I was very disappointed that after everything that the Undisputed Era did to Keith Lee, after a uh, uh, chair to the knee, and then, you know, the whole, like, snapping of the ankle, like, chair spot and everything before Ciampa comes out and makes a save, by the end of the show, Keith Lee is running just fine enough to, you know, do a pounce and, and knock Roddy through the bushes. Um, so next week, it's going to be Keith Lee versus Roderick Strong. Um, I don't know, man. That one really bugged me. It's like, dude, you, you can't even sell it for one fucking episode? Absolutely. You got to pounce, man. I, I didn't. Hogan's got to pose. Lee's got to pounce. Yeah, I, I didn't like that at all. What yeah, I, I'm with you. What I did like was the Broserweights, Pete Dunn and Matt Riddle, taking on the team of the the dirty Welsh kids that nobody likes, Mandrews and Flash Morgan Webster. You could tell nobody likes them when they came out because they didn't get any kind of a response at all. And as good as this match was, and it was, this was a fantastic wrestling match, nobody cared. Like, there, there was just no buzz about this match. Just, oh, yeah, that was a really good match. Who's those two guys that Riddle and Dunn were wrestling? That was pretty much all I heard about this match. That's kind of like uh, the enhancements, right? Yeah. Yeah. Calling the enhancements. 
Well, I wonder if people actually thought that they were enhancement talents because nobody knows who, who Mandrews and Flash Morgan Webster are. And like just looking at those guys, you could see them being enhancement talents. That's fucking hilarious. Didn't even think I, about I think, that. I think you know what they ought to do? They, they should they essentially make that their gimmick. Call them the enhancements and then bring back one of the greatest enhancement talents of all times to be their mentor and their corner man and their leader and Strangler Steve King. That sounds great. I actually like that. But they'd probably use somebody Welsh who's a complete and utter douchebag. Uh, Tommaso Chapa. Chapa comes out, cuts his promo, says that he's coming for his life back. His life is Goldie and Goldie is the NXT championship. Uh, Undisputed Era doesn't appreciate that much they come out Chapa says you know I know you guys got your hit list and he runs through the hit list he even mentions Imperium so it's like a, a whole bunch of baby faces in Imperium so I assume Imperium are supposed to be the baby faces Undisputed Era comes out to kick uh, Tommaso Ciampa's ass out comes Johnny Failure Johnny Pathetic Loser Johnny used to be my tag team partner Johnny Gargano to make the save and now it seems as though DIY's all back together Rick everything's going to hell for the Undisputed Era well, these worlds collide I mean that there is a, a super collision things are things are imploding exploding it, it's going to be interesting to see where they stand after this thing man I mean you're, you're getting pounced everywhere you get the the super force from the UK is now targeting you. You know, Chapa wants Goldie back. The the ultimate loser, Johnny G, he's back on your ass. You put DIY back together inadvertently. Like everything's just going to hell. I mean, by the end of Takeover Portland, they could go from draped in gold to where the fuck did all our gold go? Uh, you know, something just popped in my mind. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about here, but you know, everyone always asks, you know, well, what could happen when Johnny Gargano gets called up to the to the red or the blue or gets moved to the red or the blue? And do you, do you think, what, what's the over-under in the next three years we have a tag team of Johnny G and Shorty G called the G Unit? Oh, God. I'd say 75-25, yes. <laughs> Grizzled Young Veterans take on the Time Splitters and actually beat the Time Splitters. Um, Rick, this one was really, really surprising to me. I mean, they, they were kind of making a big deal out of Alex Shelley making his way to NXT, and then they just had the Grizzled Young Veterans beat them. What'd you think of this thing? Well, because, you know, none of that, what they did in the past, all that happened over in Japan, that doesn't matter here, right? It, I, I, I thought it was to, weird that they mentioned that they were two-time IWGP junior tag team champions, but they didn't mention ring of honor at all. And they normally put over ROH like all the time. Hmm. Very interesting. I didn't pick up on that. I was this match. I was kind of back and forth. I was kind of out of, you know, the, the, all the moment to see them back together. Uh, the match settles in, but yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it was, it was a surprise and you got to believe, I mean, in a moment like this, you're expecting the reunion, the hype, the excitement from the crowd to carry the time splitters, uh, a pretty big win and a bold statement to put them over for the grizzled young vets. I like those guys a lot. Uh, Swerve defeats Leo Rush and Tyler Breeze to advance into the World's Collide Fatal 4-Way. They totally should have put Tyler over. That was such a mistake. Um, and then we had the Women's Battle Royal. 
And Rick, I know that you are a big fan of Battle Royals. I am not. But I thought this one was very good. I thought this was very well done. And this is the second time now where they do a big women's battle royal like two weeks before the women's Royal Rumble. And NXT makes the main roster look bad by having these great battle royals. I was going to say, was it a year ago that we had this? I don't remember if it was a year ago or two years ago. Okay, a year or so ago, absolutely and it is no surprise here on anyone that's listened to us on any of the platforms. That's one of my favorite gimmick style matches in in any form. Give me an over the top match if it's gauntlet style. It's just straight up battle royal. We got the, an opportunity for a championship match at in Portland at Takeover. Stakes couldn't be higher here from the get go. This is that match I'm talking about that held my attention. Didn't even think about flipping back to. AEW, see what was going on uh, just through the just through the entrances, how they laid this thing out, and then the, the, the surprises. To see Martinez, absolutely, man, it set me to my feet, Sharon. One of my favorites, one of the best in the world, not given the respect that she has earned. Absolutely incredible performer. Then you follow it up, I'm popping because the mighty Casey's back. The the grand entrance, what a surprise to her athleticism in this match. She brought so much to it. Uh, I even popped a little bit. I guess I should have seen it coming. I've seen some other people weren't very surprised about it, but I kind of was in the back of my mind that that I had moved her to the back of my mind because I wasn't expecting to see her so soon with Shayna Baszler, who immediately enters this thing and becomes your odds-on favorite. Dude, the visual of Shayna Baszler getting in that ring and all of those women kind of for, forming that like semicircle around Shayna Baszler and the appearance that it's going to be like, you know, 19 on one there for a second was awesome. If you get and people wonder why you get, oh, he shouldn't be the champ. There's, there's no there's no draw. There's no appeal with him. No, that's what you get with someone like Brock Lesnar. That's the vibe you got there. That, you know, other, where were some other big names? This see Shotzi Blackheart in this thing. Talk about a big uh, moment for her. Big moment for her. Great pop. The fans seem into her. They're, they're buying this look. They know about her. She has great potential moving forward. I thought Keegan Knox looked so well in this thing. Dakota Kai looked great for not doing Dakota anything. Kai, right. I mean, watching this match and how this thing was laid out, I know down the stretch, that it, it kind of maybe had a little bit of fall apart towards the end. I think it was more so that fans felt disappointed that we were getting a little bit of the same old, same old because there were so many fresh faces. This could have been a great opportunity to give someone that that true push forward. Say, okay, head to Portland on the road to take over WrestleMania. We know this isn't anything over the top major for you. It's pun intended. But it would be a shining moment for them. Someone to make a star. We're kind of getting a little the same old, same old. I'm okay with that. I I thought overall this match was was tremendously put together. Whoever the agent agents were on this thing, bravo. But more so to the ladies of NXT. As I'm sitting here watching this, all of this talk that we've heard for so many years, man, there should be a, a, a woman's show on one of these major, one of these major promotions. And wow, does such a tremendous job. And that's an all women's show. But when we're talking about the major promotions, this really made me buy into this. I could watch on the weekly an hour program featuring the women of NXT. And in, what hammered that home is to look inside that ring, look at the personas, 
look at the talent, look at the depth. It's simply incredible. Yeah, that women's division is the best in the world, without any question. Um, I, I love the moment when we got uh, Shayna Baszler versus Mercedes Martinez. Yes, um, please. Yeah, <laughs> yes, please. Please, please. Yes, please. please. Every, every day of the week, five times on Sunday. Yeah, I uh, mean. That was awesome. That was a moment. Yeah, that was incredible. Um, I thought it was interesting the way they framed Shayna Baszler in this match, though. Like, Mauro Ranallo was like, we thought she was gone. It's like, oh, are, 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 is that just like a common understanding that Sheena Baszler is no longer in NXT and this was a big surprise entrance? Like, I thought that well, was interesting. See, and I thought when she entered this match, you know, not thinking that she was immediately leaving for anything, uh, but I thought if they were going to bring her back, they would wait a little longer. I mean, it's only been about a couple weeks. Yeah. I mean, it really, she's like, she hasn't had time to pack her bags and look for a place to, to move to. You know, it, it seemed I, I thought they that's what surprised me to see her back so soon. But as soon as she makes that entrance, she's like you said, Jargo, and the, the look of concern and just terror from the other competitors. Well, that was pretty cool in itself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the winner. Uh, Bianca Belair wins this matchup, comes down to Bianca versus EO, and that crowd was clearly behind EO Shirai, um, which is kind of a story in itself, considering that they just turned EO heel not that awful long ago. Uh, but Bianca Belair gets the win here. That did not seem like a surprise to me, since she's going to be facing off most likely with Rhea Ripley at TakeOver Portland. So wh what do you think of... Belair versus Ripley like it should be a good match but I wish it was much more personal than just yay I want a battle royal and I think it's and in that sense you know this is an opportunity and you've got you got so much going on and where does Portland I mean where's the importance where does it really lie I mean you got worlds collide you've got takeover Wrestlemania looming you know just down the road so in a moment like this yeah I mean it seems a bit of a throwaway and where I think a little fans were disappointed at the outcome here is that they're just lost on Bianca Belair, and rightfully so, because they flip-flop her around. We don't know a whole lot about her. There's not a lot to really get behind to invest in with her. Not taking anything away from her personally. Tremendous look, athleticism, strength. I, I think she's got it all, but it's that creative direction. And, it, and I don't even want to necessarily blame this on creative itself because there's so much talent and they've had so much happening that sometimes someone's just going to get lost in the shuffle. Unfortunately, that has they have some time here. She's not really involved, you know, outside of you know putting her nose into someone's business at Worlds Collide, so she can focus on this thing at Portland. That's going to be her focal point. And then you hopefully you've got enough time here to build some heat between her and Ripley and truly define something for Bianca Belair. And then and now stick to it. Just don't ride that wave to Portland and then say, okay, now we're done with it. Ripley's got to move on to something else. Make sure you've got something, a backup to invest in with Bianca Belair. Last week, you and I have a conversation about who should be that next set of four for WWE as we're looking three to five years down the road to define, redefine, evolve, evolution 2.0. And we came to an agreement that we believe that Bel Air could be one of those four female talent. But right now you've got to start, you know, paying her justice. 
Is that the swan and, and song? letting her grow. Is that the swan song for Bianca Belair? Like Rhea Ripley beats her in Portland, and that's the end of Belair in NXT. Because what is left for Bianca Belair in NXT other than being the champion, which I just don't see on the list of shit to do for a while. Like you might as well just make the move for her to Monday Night Raw, where I assume she's going to go to be on the same brand as Montez Ford. Yeah, and I don't know if you want to make that move right away. It's so hard to make a transition like that, especially this time of year with WrestleMania. I would hold her because off until after WrestleMania, but I would—I don't think I would show her anywhere between TakeOver Portland and Raw after Mania. I think you have to a little bit. And, and that's kind of what, you know, what I was just speaking to. You need to keep that momentum going where you are defining who she is as a talent. But I think what you ultimately do in that time is you're not worried about continuing to sculpt her as someone that's going is relatable and is going to get over on NXT. You start presenting her as someone that's going to get over on the red or blue. It just happens to be as you're learning that way, as you're as you're sculpting that masterpiece, it's being presented on Wednesday nights. So then when she is given the opportunity to hit the ground running, if it be the Monday following WrestleMania, but be that Friday or whenever they, that they really need her there. Uh, I think, you know, a tremendous moment. If, if you want to slowly build that momentum, pull her back a little bit next to you, cause you're going to have, you know, other focal points, but you want to keep her at least in people's memory. You want to keep her somewhat fresh so that they just don't completely forget about her. But if you can keep, Keep that keep that water simmering a little bit. I think it'd be great to see her go out and win the women's battle royal at WrestleMania on the kickoff show. Then ride that wave onto one of the brands. All in all, I don't like them doing Worlds Collide and take over Portland so close together and then it being so quick to take over Tampa. Um for the night before WrestleMania. I feel like this card should be the WrestleMania takeover card. It should be Bianca Belair versus Rhea Ripley. It should be Tommaso Ciampa versus Adam Cole. It should be Johnny Gargano versus Finn Balor. It should be Keith Lee versus Roderick Strong. And it should be the winners of the Dusty Classic versus the Undisputed Era. That should be TakeOver Tampa, but instead, that's going to be TakeOver Portland. What the hell do they do for Tampa? I don't know. You know, looking at, especially inside this women's division, I, it's almost, you know, I'm talking about a weekly program. I almost wish we could get their own their own takeover. Yeah, no shit. Uh, it's just so much talent. I mean, looking at the potential matchups in that you, you realistically, you're, you get one and pushing it for two matches on those marquee shows. Damn, there is so much that they could do here. So much talent, and it has people so excited. Yep. Yep. Yeah. With, without question, without question, NXT dominating when it comes to women's wrestling. Yeah, completely agreed. Uh, let's take a look at the Royal Rumble, which because, you know, that's coming up real quick and in, in a hurry, too. Um, and, Rick, I just I don't like this card. I, the, the way that this card is shaping up, I just I don't like this card. Roman versus King Fuckface in a false count anywhere match was established last night, um, which I absolutely hated. Like, I, I don't understand why there is a match between Roman Reigns and um, who was it? Bobby Roode, 
right? Yes, in, t- in a tables in, match. In a tables match to determine what the stipulation is going to be for the match between Baron Corbin and Roman Reigns. So, like, Roman Reigns has all of the power in this scenario. Like, no matter what Baron Corbin does, no matter what he does, it's completely irrelevant as to whether or not he gets to pick the stipulation in the match. It just doesn't make any sense inside of the logic. But so it's going to be Roman versus King Fuckface, false count anywhere. Sheamus versus Chad Gable, which I just don't give a shit about, and I'm not going to call him Shorty G. Becky versus Asuka, which after what they did Monday night on Raw, if I was them, I would actually just for, have Becky have to forfeit the title. Asuka becomes the champion and hold that thing off until WrestleMania because, you know, Becky's blind and she can't fight when she's blind. Bailey versus Lacey Evans, who is having like the coldest baby face turn I think I've ever seen. The Fiend versus Daniel Bryan in a strap match, which seems like a real easy way to get the title off of The Fiend without him actually having to take a loss. Then we have the Women's Royal Rumble, who doesn't really have much of anybody announced for it. I think there's only like a half a dozen names or so, and I have a feeling that if you want it to be good, you're going to have to incorporate a lot of the same talent that we just saw in that NXT Battle Royal. And then we have the Men's Rumble, where the field is almost completely laid out. We've spoiled basically all of the surprises that there possibly could be. Oh yeah, and there's not a whole lot of room for NXT talent inside of the Men's Rumble, And then it also looks like we'll probably end up with Miz and Morrison versus the New Day and Braun Strowman versus Shinsuke Nakamura for the Intercontinental Championship. And that's what I expect to be the card for the Royal Rumble. I don't like it, man. I I, I don't like putting more gimmick matches on a show that's built around fucking gimmick matches. Well, and especially a show that is your ultimate gimmick match. I mean, the, the Royal Rumble, it's one of your big four. This thing has set the tone for, for ages, decades here. Everything within me. I mean, this is my favorite event of the year, simply because of the Rumble match itself. Now, they've gone the last few years and absolutely diluted the hell out of this thing by adding the second Rumble match. I mean, it, it's just, it's exhausting. And I sure as hell don't need seven freaking matches. Oh, yeah, and two Rumbles. Like, give me two matches and two rumbles. That might be manageable, but seven freaking matches and then two rumbles? It's going to be a six-hour show. Absolutely. And there's too many highs. I mean, this roller coaster is is too intense of a ride for, for all the thrills that you're trying to throw in this thing. And then when you start just piling more gimmicks into this, uh, it's an absolute overkill. And it's just you're, you're trying to do too much. You're trying to be about too much to too many different individuals. Stick to your simple basics. Stick to what got you here. It is the rumble matches itself. And while it is exhausting, I get the point that, okay, that they, they have added the women's. It's not going anywhere. But quit acting like it's a second, it's second tier here. Load up on that talent. Give us something to buy into, especially when we – you need to give us that intrigue, that storyline, because we know the, the caliber of the match itself. And in any case, none of these things are going to blow anybody away. Technically, it's about the stories and developments inside of it. And they've never really done that with the women's match. Even the first year out when it was just when it was just a simple PR stunt for lady balls. And then the drop off from year to year is this second or third year, the second year, right? This would be the third. 
Um, this will be the third because Oscar yeah. and Becky are the two Becky, winners. And last year's was an absolute train wreck. Well, yeah, and last year the entire story was Becky getting into the match and then winning it. That was right. the whole story. And it, it, it made no sense in the whole way that they did it. And right here, another thing that you should have been a year long story for WWE. I mean, that's mind blowing, right? I mean, this fell in their laps here. This was gold. They could have done something truly special here between Becky and Asuka. And all you've really done here, and I know they're trying to put some sympathy on Becky. Becky, the man, is not a character that requires sympathy. I get, you know, it, it might not be completely fair to say that she should be the new Stone Cold and make those comparisons. We can we can check that. I'm talking about her simple attitude herself, what brought her to the dance, what got her the head seat at the main table was that attitude that you take control. You don't back down. You don't pander to anyone. It's right there. You're the freaking man. You set the tone. You make the rules. And all she has done in the build to this match is pander to an audience, question herself, and ask Asuka of favors. Will you please come? Will you see me in the ring? I need this match from you. No, Becky, you're the man you take. You define. You write the rules. We haven't seen any of that. She is pathetic. I'm talking about cowardly Cody. This is beyond pathetic Becky. And that's what we've got here. And there isn't no sympathy on her right now because it's backfired on her character. People are gravitating towards Asuka because of this, because they're finally getting that fire and energy they wanted from her. So what is the story for the WWE women's division coming out of the Royal Rumble? Who are the champions and who is the winner of the women's Rumble and who is she going to face at WrestleMania? I think at this point where you think she's gone, I think what you do at this saving point here, if I'm in this meeting here, I'm laying out everything I just said, and I'm saying this creatively to everybody. And let Vince know we have we have done Becky a tremendous wrong in how we have guided this character. But it is a new year. We're on the getting on the road to WrestleMania. This is what we what we promote up on billboards is the kickoff, the royal freaking rumble. Let's write this ship. You've got to have Becky just come out here and whoop some ass. Recreate, redefine the rule. She is going to take it to Asuka. And I'm sorry, you know, that someone's got to eat this thing. But once again, it's going to be Asuka. Because overall, my bigger money, my bigger investment needs to be in Becky Lynch, the man. That is the number one priority. That is what we're building there. By the end of this night, by the end of this weekend, we have got to firmly be behind Shayna Baszler versus Becky Lynch at WrestleMania. I agree with that, but unless I get a phone call and I don't know what the hell's going on with Ronda, I mean, that could throw a kink into some things here. Um, I think what I would do, and the more and more I think about this, the more and more I'm liking this idea. I have Sheena Baszler win the women's Royal Rumble. The match that everybody wants to see is Sheena Baszler versus Becky Lynch. Right? I think I think we can all agree with that. When, like you said, the Ronda Rousey thing notwithstanding. And then I think I have Asuka beat Becky Lynch to win the title. You have to remember, we still have like four months 
between now and WrestleMania, we have to get through. I want it to be Shayna basically punking out Becky Lynch. I beat 29 other women to get my shot at you, and you couldn't even beat Asuka. The match that everybody wants to see at WrestleMania is me versus you, and I'm going to be there. You have to get that title back between now and WrestleMania if you want to meet me in the main event at WrestleMania. And I make that the story going forward, that Becky is on the chase, and it's a quick build. Becky's got to go completely all out to get that match with Asuka at the Elimination Chamber and then reclaim the WWE Raw Women's Championship so that we get Becky Lynch versus Shayna Baszler. I don't think they can keep Becky hot enough between now and WrestleMania without some kind, I mean, something's got to go wrong for Becky at some point, doesn't it? It's been almost a year. I, I don't know. And I think there's been plenty gone wrong for her. And that's been that creative. I think you need this time, this road to WrestleMania to reestablish what the man is all about. Make her that true ass kicker. And I know, you know, beating Asuka at the Rumble. I actually think that if Asuka would win at the Rumble again and then have pretty much the same fate lie before her as it did last year, where she is kind of just a pawn in this bigger thing, I think that does more damage to her. I have this one-time loss. I move on from this thing. I, I close the chapter on those two right now. Oscar can continue on helping to grow and, and build a thriving women's tag division, try to find something that's going to be of interest for that, that program moving towards WrestleMania. Uh, I can think of a few other things. If you really want to revisit something, what's the timeline? on a return for Anaya Jax. I mean, that's some unfinished business. You get, you get this moment where you have reignited that fire under the man. We are about to redefine and remind everybody what got Becky here, redefine what it's about. We're going to take it to that next level. Oh, and here comes the person that actually made Becky by breaking Becky. That could be a little bit of a speed bump and get involved there. Hell, you, you could go back. I'm talking about, I think this would be such a big match at WrestleMania for this women's division, Becky and Baszler. You want to throw something in there that could be of intrigue? Who can control this match? We need a we need an enforcer, somebody like Mike Tyson. What if you brought Ronda Rousey in as the enforcer? Everything's stacked, everything's stacked here against Becky. You've got that heat. You've got that history. But maybe Ronda's going to show respect. You know, She knows that it does take a certain attitude and a swagger to get to the top. And she might not like Becky, but deep down, there's a respect there. And then obviously there's everything. Everything with the history with Baszler. But then you could also tie in there too where Baszler's a little peeved that once again where she did everything the right way. She came up through the indies. She went to NXT, did the time at the Performance Center, was always second fiddle in MMA. And now Ronda here is again. I mean, there's so much intrigue and layers that you could put together in a program where it's straight up months and months of build here between these two. Throwing that Nia speed bump, 
but ultimately it's between these two and that wild card factor of Ronda. Okay, so let's assume that the matches at WrestleMania are Shayna Baszler versus Becky Lynch, Sasha Banks versus Bayley for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Uh, We have the Kabuki Warriors still as the tag team champions taking on a tag team. What's Charlotte doing at WrestleMania? She kind of feels like the odd woman out this year, doesn't she? Uh, she is. And the, you know, as we were starting this conversation, in the back of my mind, it immediately, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm sitting in this room. I, I got to take care of my own, right? I mean, I'm caught pitching Sharshar ideas, right? I think this is one of those years where it, it is time. Let's do take a step back with her in a sense. I'm terrified they try to squeeze her in somewhere, just like they did last year, when clearly everybody just wanted Becky versus Rousey, but they had to squeeze Charlotte into that match. Absolutely. Uh, And and then we need to find something else for her to do in this situation. And uh, my mind immediately went through something in the tag division, but if I'm going to ride the Kabuki Warriors, Charlotte's not a viable option on the other side because I don't want her working working baby simply to be in that situation there. I'm not so sold on on Sasha and Bailey on the other side. See, that's a tough question. But when we're we're talking about WrestleMania, I don't, and I know that you know that is something they deal with. We have to find slots for the superstars that we've got. But I'm more worried about the true marquees. Let's put the attention, the focus, the importance on what's going to sell, what's what's big. And right now, when we're looking at anything for the women's tag, when we're looking at anything for the SmackDown Women's Championship, what's going around and the potential between Baszler and Becky for that Raw Women's Championship, I mean, it's, it's time tens when it comes to importance. I mean... I, it's pressing to find other the men's matches that will to measure up to that marquee. Well, what, what else? What else do you do on SmackDown? Is, is there is there a better match that SmackDown could produce right now than Bailey versus Sasha for the SmackDown Women's Championship? When we're talking WrestleMania, I'm not going to let this brand identification handcuff me. We don't. We don't. We're not buying our own BS here. This is one company. WrestleMania is our grandest event. It is the spectacle of spectacles in pro wrestling, and it should be treated as so. It's I, I love to revisit this thing, especially, you know, maybe we can do something next week where we're talking plans coming out of the Rumble and what we really would look forward to for the different divisions. It's, Jargo, it's truly something, I know I always go to it, I plead the fifth, but I really have to examine it and look at what the best possible selling points would be. The problem is that SmackDown women's division is so thin. I mean, there's there, it's literally like a three-woman division right now. And I know you've got it built in where they have laid the groundwork for for Becky, not Becky, for uh, Bailey and, and Sasha. That's there. Uh, again, it comes to the case, man. Right now, you've just Bailey's freshly turned. Switching her back is going would be a terrible move right now. No, if you were going to turn one of them, it would have to be Sasha. 
and Sasha and is and, so much better so, as a heel. Right. She is so bad in that baby role. I mean, she's just a natural villain. But do you want Lacey Evans as your the lead baby face of the division going into WrestleMania? Because she's about as bad as a baby face as Charlotte is. And, and, and it's a case of, and they could easily tell a story with her, but they've almost dropped the ball with that so so far. Is I mean, if you would have went with that that proud American theme, which they, they try to play into at times, but you still got that that sassy Southern belle that's a little bit better than everyone. It's a sophisticated individual that just looks down on the rest of society. You can't mesh those together, choose one direction or the other. And obviously what you built there, she is she's perfect as a heel. On that mid-card, she shouldn't be featured inside of a major program, especially something at WrestleMania. Uh, she's just screaming a front runner for the Women's Battle Royal. If, if we're just locked down to who is committed to each of these brands and, and who has that star power, who's really going to, to spark a fan base, who's going to pull in outsiders, who is going to be great for crossover promotion, you're doing everything you can to probably write Alexa Bliss into that championship picture on SmackDown. Yeah. No, that's a valid point. That's probably about the best option that they've got, really. And if you re- if you really want crossover appeal, you don't need uh, a technical showcase. You want you want to sell this thing. I'd use the SmackDown Women's Championship as my oh wow, look at that. Okay. I like watching wrestling for that. I'd run out there, the girl next door, Alexa Bliss. Let her just go be the sweetheart that she is. I put her across the ring from Mandy Rose. Uh, I can see it happening. And, and, and that's my selling point. You know, it's not going to be, you know, I was getting caught up on uh, a few of the something to wrestle with programs. And you go through those things and they regularly go back and mention the observer and, and Melzer, he craps all over things. Oh, I give this. There was one yesterday. It was uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan and and the big boss man from the 90 Rumble. And it got like negative two and a half stars. But what the hell did you expect? I mean, they're not going to go out there and put on a, a, a technical showcase for you. This is character work. It's on the other card. But you go watch that match. The crowd loved it because they knew how to buy into it. You had to take things on a curve for what they're worth. So if I'm looking here for something that's going to appease the, the technical aspect and the smarky smarks, all that, that's great. I'm going to go with Becky and Baszler with Ronda as the enforcer. That's a great showcase. All around, I think you win with that thing. Uh, but I'm looking for a little ratings, Rager, trying to get some interest, You know, bring back a little flavor of what people, I'm sorry, sex sells. And I think you got great personas. I think you got great characters that people are going to – that are going to want to rally behind and want to love to hate. I think you could accomplish that with bliss versus Rose. Sex sells. Just ask Patreon. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button. Then visit the entire HTM podcast network online, hittingthemarks.com. Be sure that you catch Huckleberry and I this Monday in the locker room, hackerhameen.podbean.com. I think we're going to sit down, take a look at both of these rumbles and kind of dive a little bit deeper in and, and see who we think is going to come out and what the matches are going to be at WrestleMania. Until then, be sure that you visit thegorillaposition.com where they tell the stories 
Vegas pro wrestling storytellers. Visit lastwordonprowrestling.com. Get all the latest in news from around the world of professional wrestling. Be sure that you get caught up on Hameen Media, hackerhameen.podbean.com. We're pumping out 20 podcasts a week over there for free entertainment for your ear holes, as well as NDPW.com, where they have all the latest on all the shows coming up WrestleMania weekend. My God, man, there is so many shows. I don't know how we're going to even begin to cover everything going on this WrestleMania weekend. You can find me across all social media platforms at NotJargo. You can also find me watching the Lakers here in a little while. RBV, how do the peeps, the freaks, and the geeks find you? Well, I've got two... uh... Two big plans on the agenda for the evening. I'm going to go get to work on that Omega hangover here in a couple hours. Uh, but before then, I've got some boning up to do. And boning up, I will be doing. It is hashtag HTM Tech with a special guest this week. Yours truly, the RBV. And we're going to be breaking down, breaking into, and exciting you with the thrilling world of advancements in sex, te- sex technology mainly focusing around the rise of the sex bots sex robots it's a real thing absolutely terrifying i'm gonna be uh recording turnbuckle talk with joe this week while carl is on the jericho cruise by the way i hate carl um (laughs) so that should be a lot of fun uh i'm just kidding carl i hope you have a great time should be a good show um, so we will talk to you Monday inside the locker room, hackerhameen.podbean.com. Oh, yeah, we got to watch that fight tonight, too. We got McGregor versus Cowboy, UFC 246 coming up tonight. Oh, very nice. It's a lot, of, a lot on the agenda. It just seems like each week, uh, just stacked weekends when it comes to the world of sports, entertainment, and wrestling. Yep. We'll talk to you Monday in the locker room for now. We're off like a prom dress. See ya. Watch your fingers. Label me. Don't give up. You bad guy.
Fuck your bitch and I lied. She was at home with me last night. I'll be your bad guy. You know what? Little bitch.